You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hello, donkeys. It is Monday, February 4th, 2019, and Caesar is home. Welcome. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the MMA Hour right here on MMA Fighting. Com. You might notice the new music. We're still working it out. It's not finished yet, but yes, we are making some pivots here on the show. But some things remain the same, including a stellar guest list and a lineup. We've got today, Shorty Torres will be here. I believe he has a bit of an announcement. We have Wonder Boy. He's going to be here. We've got, let's see, Trevor Whitman's going to be here, and Ricardo Almeida is going to be here as well. Plus, you're going to be here two ways, as you always are, with your tweets using the hashtag TheMMAHour, plus with your calls when we get to the sound off. As always, that number, 844-866-2468. I have been off a week. I apologize for that. It is because uh, I had some other professional responsibilities to attend to. They were very weird, but I'm back. We had UFC Fortaleza over the weekend and a whole lot more. A couple of announcements. In addition to hearing that music there, as again, it's not quite finished. we got some things we'll start working out, so... Appreciate your patience while we have a metaphorical under construction sign going on. Number two, I have great news. Some of you folks who listen on the audio podcast have noted that um, the, the Monday Morning Analyst doesn't really work for you. Good news. We're going to make the Monday Morning Analyst for the podcast portion a YouTube exclusive. So we're going to make sure that when we go to the audio side of things, it's going to be the kind of content that more naturally caters to that format. So we heard you guys. We wanted to honor some of your requests. They're very fair. They all make sense. So spread the word. The Monday Morning Analyst, it'll be a part of today and, of course, on YouTube uh, for the MMA Fighting site. But it'll be a YouTube exclusive. Yes? Okay. That'd be great. I'm not even going to put my headphones on for this one. Ready, folks? It is time now for a round of tweets. Okay, let's get to it. Let's get to it. There was my face, mouth breathing. Clock starts when the first tweet goes up. I went long on that one, didn't I? Yes, I did. About two minutes. Waiting on you donks. Here we go. There's the clock. And where are the tweets? All right, let's go. Clock's ticking. Point deductions for iPokes. Go. Uh, I guess they're asking me, am I in favor of point deductions for iPokes? Yes. Generally, I speaking, not in totality, but generally speaking, I am in favor of anything where the referees are more involved. There is this attitude in MMA where we want everyone to swallow the whistle. I don't believe that referees should swallow the whistle. I believe that they should get there and be active. Oh, we don't want to disrupt the purity of a fight. There's no such thing. This is a phony idea. There's no such thing as a fight under perfect conditions, under real conditions, under um, these are more pure than the other one. They all just take place in the context in which they take place, whether it's in the street, a ring, an octagon, you name it. There's nothing more inherently real than the next one other than, I suppose, the danger that it might pose to you. Um, but in the case of what we're talking about here for sports, yes, I'm in favor of it. Next. Uh, what do you guys think about the judging in Brazil? Looked like there was some home cooking going on. Just my opinion would like to hear yours. Um, pulling up the results here very, very quickly. Uh, I didn't feel that way. Also, there were so many stoppages. I guess I didn't care. 
Uh, let's see. Anybody who of note that lost? Max Griffin lost to Tiago Alves. I guess if you wanted to, you could say that. Um, and then the Sarah Frota thing. I guess she's Brazilian too. I don't really remember, but Souza won. I mean, maybe. I think judges are always going to be I, – I need to know who the judges were for that one to really say. But I, do I think there's an egregious case? No, I don't think there's an egregious case. Next. Uh, could any other country excluding the USA fill out a card like Brazilian fighters did? Canada and the UK. You could get just about any country to fill out a card. Could you do it with the depth that Brazil does? I think is what they mean. And the answer is, I don't know. Maybe Canada, you could do it. I'd have to see. But if you're asking, you know, where are the powerhouses in terms of developing talent across weight classes, you know, Brazil has got to be at the top of the list. Maybe USA is number one, but Brazil is right there, top three, bare minimum. They have so many fighters in heavyweight, right? Even though the rest of Spanish-speaking Latin America, they weren't, they're not going to have heavyweights like Brazil does. It's just so special as a country. It's such a unicorn in the world and you know for to, for a country that doesn't have a background in wrestling to be as competitive as they are and as good as they are um it's you know it, it says a lot about the strength of that of that country and the kind of people that they produce next uh even though dana keeps denying and saying no do you believe that the ufc will introduce a 165 pound division and or other divisions as well I, to me the issue is not a matter of if but when they will create a 165-pound division. I just don't think it's imminent. They know that that is inevitable. They just don't want to do it yet. That's the only issue. But will they do it? There's no doubt in my mind. But it could be years before they do. It's just not something I think is going to happen in 2019 or 2020. But maybe by 2022, I think that is probably a different and better time horizon. Next. Uh, with Habib waiting until the end of 2019 to fight again, should the UFC strip him? They could do an interim belt, but that didn't work well for the Ferguson the last time. Just another reason I think we would all benefit from a 165-pound division. No, they should not strip him. If he's going to fight again this year, uh, I don't have an issue with it at all, uh, especially for all the havoc that it causes when you put another title in there. And, and um, he also has been on ice with this issue with the – Commission, and I know some people were like, a $500,000 fine is totally justified. These are deranged people, truly. Uh, it's impossible to justify this in any event. So he's a little bit bitter about that. they got to find him the right opportunity. So if he sits out till 2020 for no other reason than he doesn't want to be there, that's different. But if he fights again in 2019, I'm okay with it. Next. Um, Hot Ones, who was your favorite person to quit on Hot Ones? You guys seen this show on YouTube? I love it. I talked about it in the last episode of the MMA Beat. My, f uh, f You know what? I, f I like DJ Khaled, but he was so annoying on that show. So, Because he made it three wings in and was like, I've never taken an L. It's like, not even your, your blood pressure, DJ? Uh, I would say Ricky Gervais. Next, real quickly. Uh, so the Nevada commission is contemplating regulating pre-fight trash talk outside of this. What is the most ludicrous policy you've heard any commission have ever come up with, whether successfully implemented or otherwise? Remember when they tried to ban Nick Diaz for life for marijuana infractions, they couldn't even prove took place. Boy, that commission is truly amazing. People will justify anything that the powerful do, but, um, that I found to be utterly disgraceful and, and I'm not even sure I agree with Dana White. I don't even know if that's legal to be quite candid with you. All right, let's get to our guest. I believe he's there, is he not? 
on Skype. Oh, we're working on him. We're working on him. I believe we'll have uh, Mr. Shorty Torres next. I believe he has some news to share, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but we'll talk to him in just a sec. Yeah, that whole commission thing. I just couldn't believe people were like, yeah, you know, it makes kind of sense to find him half a million dollars. It's only a quarter of his purse. Dude, these are the kinds of people who can be tricked into anything. If they had taken a million, they would have justified that as well. They said, well, things could have happened. Folks, if you jaywalk, why is jaywalking illegal? It's illegal because it can cause a lot of problems. Bodily harm to the person jaywalking. It can cause traffic accidents. It generally is not good for law and order. No one is calling for Habib to not be punished. No one is calling for him to not suffer consequences. You can't jump out of the octagon and go after a teammate's, or excuse me, a rival's teammate. You cannot do these kinds of things. Um, on the other hand, you have to have a proportional set of justice, and you have to ask what is the appropriate role of the commission. The commission is not there to pick up where law enforcement didn't. That's not their job. If they want to sanction a fighter, they can and they should. But there should be appropriate limits on that. The state of California only allows a $2,500 fine for any kind of infraction, and they can double that if it's against the spirit of the sport or something. Um, to take $500,000 from him is unconscionable, it's irrational, and frankly, psychotic. Um, you have to have a proportional set of uh, sense of justice. And, uh, and the point about jaywalking, I'll get to our next guest in here in just a second. The point about jaywalking is that if it does cause further damage, well, then you go on and you say uh, you did all of these other things as a consequence of your action. But if you just cross the street and nobody gets hurt, I think in the end, you decide, eh, here's a ticket. All right? All right, let's go to our guest. Is he on Skype? I believe he's on Skype. Yes? No? Yes, he is on Skype. Let's go to him now. There he is. The one and only 125-pound phenom, Shorty Torres. Hi, Mr. H Torres. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm alive. How about yourself? Alive? Just alive? You're clean-shaven? You're smiling? You must be more than just alive. Yeah, I decided to look pretty for once in my life. I was looking <laughs> at all throwback photos. I was like, ah, let's, let's just do it once. And I'm getting all this backlash of people messaging me going, you should bring the beard back. I'm like, oh, all right. Give I, me a couple I, weeks. I do agree that the beard is a better look. Uh, how old are you, by the way, jo Jose? I'm 26. 26. Did you do your 10-year uh, your challenge on Instagram? Yeah, I did my 10-year challenge, and it was funny because when I was a sophomore in high school, I had longer hair. I had the Bruce Lee bowl haircut, but the only problem is I have a big chin and a big head. So <laughs> naturally, I'm trying to pick on the freshmen, but the freshmen are picking on me, calling me Lord Farquaad. So decided to make a meme about that and put that up. And like, ah, well, might as well have some fun with it. But yeah, man, it's, it's, it's been pretty cool looking at old photos. Uh, let's talk about what happened with you. So you were in the UFC as of when? When did you move on from them? So I was in the UFC for Utica, which was June 1st, so pretty much a month or around that, 10 days before that I got signed. And then my last fight was August 4th against Alex Perez, and it was the constant calls of Mick Maynard going, hey, when am I going to fight again? When am I going to fight again? Yeah, obviously, I would like to take a break. But when am I going to fight again for a full two-month training camp? Because if people don't know, I had nine-day notice and then 20-day notice in a 45-day span for the two fights. And then, oh, hey, you're going to be you know, fighting next year. You're going to be fighting next year. You're going to be fighting this date, this date. And then I don't know. I was released, I think, in November. All right. So uh, you fought, uh, again, Alex Perez on August 4th. How often were you in contact with matchmakers after that fight? After that, I'd probably say maybe every 
two to three weeks trying to get something figured out and go, hey, uh, I would like a full month, two month training camp, something to actually show what I'm able to do. And when you asked for a two month training camp, what was their response generally? Well, they go, hey, you just fought twice. We're going to move you to the back of the line just because, you know, there's there's a bench of people waiting to mainly flyweight to, to get, you know, their their fights going. So he's like, we'll move you to the back of the line and we'll probably get you in November. All right, cool. We'll get you in December. All right, we'll get you sometime early next year. All right, we'll see whenever you're going to fight. And then when this whole um, Demetrius Johnson thing, you know, got boasted out there, well, I wanted to take advantage of it. I had my own YouTube series. I put a video about it. And, well, I guess it was bad publicity to the UFC and I was the first one released because of it. Did they say that's why they released you? No, but I was the first one kind of going, hey, I, you know, I brought up the speculation video, but I, I'm not trying to say, am I right? But am I right? And they go, no, no, you're not right. And then the next week they call me back. Okay, you are right. And the next week they call me back. You're released. Like, oh, thanks. Wow. Okay. So um, we, we spoke right when you got released. I think like the day you made it public that you got released. Did they say it had anything to do with your performance? You won one, you lost one. Did that play any role? Well, the the leeway out of the contracts are once you lose, they can technically cut you. I mean, look at Dustin Ortiz. Look at all these guys being released by the UFC. Once they lose, they're out. Um, so for me, the way they looked at it was they never even looked at my 135 performances. Again, I have eight professional wins for them being at flyweight for them being at bantamweight and for them total two and two in each weight class had been title fights for Titan FC. They didn't look at my, my bantamweight record. So they go your first fight, you technically got lucky and your second fight, you got demolished by Alex Perez and that's it. We're not going to give you another chance. It's like, Oh, okay. And then now after that, I don't feel as bad because they're literally cutting everything. It's, People aren't fighting to fight anymore. They're fighting for the contract. So all the flyweights are literally being let go once they lose. Okay. So since that time, who have you spoken to about this uh, in terms of other promoters? Did you get a lot of interesting offers, a few ones? Like how has the, um, how has the market been? Uh, so we, we, we talked to a bunch of promotions, KSW, Pancrase, uh, 1FC, I believe Ryzen was uh, kind of itching a little bit there. You know, we're, we're trying to get to them. Uh, and then, you know, for sure, Brave, just because I do have a background with them with KHK MMA uh, before they ended up starting the Brave promotion, which, you know, people were Frankie Edgar, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Alex Soto, other UFC veterans. And um, yeah, man. So eventually I went to the world championships in, in Bahrain and was able to talk to Sheikh Khalid, which is the prince of the country. And, uh, CEO Muhammad Shahid, and we ended up figuring out a deal then and there, and it ended up being you know two times better than the UFC. And literally, respect wise, I can I can say this is what I expected to be, and you know what what to get to be in the best promotion in the world. Okay, so tell me what it is. So you have officially signed a deal. What can you tell us about the terms of the deal? Well, the terms of the deal, I'm definitely making more than what I did in the UFC, which is very unheard of, mainly for a person who, one, is coming off of loss, and UFC veterans are usually making a little less, but you know, I'm a young athlete, and they see that, and they, they see what, what can you know really unfold with me. Um, you know, I was able to receive a signing bonus. I have a four-fight contract. I'm pretty much fighting all over the world, and I am going to be signing a commentating deal with them as well because I am able to speak. I have commentated for them twice, and you know they, they see what they can you know, what they can do with me. And I think that's really, really amazing. All right. So four fight deal more than you were making in UFC. Are you fighting flyweight and bantamweight? Yes. Yeah, so I was given the offer to do that. And you know, my ultimate goal, if everything works out well is repeat what I did in Titan. 
you know, my first fight is at flyweight, which, you know, I'm going to announce uh, very, very soon. But my first fight is at flyweight. Hopefully, second fight is a title fight. Third fight, defend it. And fourth fight, bump up and see where it goes from there. Yeah, do you know when you're going to be making your debut? So my debut will be for Brave 22, March 15th in the Philippines in the Mall of Manila, which is huge for me because my favorite fighter is Manny Pacquiao. And rumor has it he is going to be there. And uh, March 15th, I'll be fighting a guy, and I could be saying his name wrong, but Amir Albazi, he is 11-0, a Bellator veteran. He's beaten an IMUF World Championship in his last fight, so he is an undefeated upcoming prospect, and it's 11-0 versus 8-1. I mean, he technically has a better record than me, and it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice debut fight because, again, there's no slouches in the promotion, at least at Flyweight. Everyone's trying to be the very first inaugural champ, and there's, there's definitely some competition in that. How did it make you feel? Let's before you talk about how how great this deal is for you. When you first got cut, how worried were you about your fighting future? I wouldn't say I was worried because again, I got cut at 26 years old. I know I have nothing but time. You look at Kyoji Horiguchi. You know he got cut very early, or he ended up leaving very early in his career, and now he's you know Ryzen's pretty much you know just Mayweather in a sense, and he's doing so many things. And there's so many other fighters that have done the same thing, moved to different promotions, and have still extremely succeeded very, very well. So for me, it was just trying to find the right home. And I believe for me, Brave was the right home. It was just, you know, it took time. It, it really was a struggle. It's stressful. One, to find out if you're going to fight again, when you're going to fight again. Oh, I'm released. When, you know, who's going to sign me for what, uh, for what money. And, you know, I ended up finding the best deal possible. And now with this deal, I mean, is this better than even you had hoped? Like when you think about what was realistically possible and what you ultimately signed, how close, how far apart are they? So what, what I got with Brave now is what I expected in the UFC. You know, you see the UFC is a, the biggest promotion in the world. They're the most popular promotion in the world. So you expect them to respect their fighters to the fullest and do this and be communicating with them and, and just keep everything in check. But it wasn't for, for at least my experiences. I learned that we're just very, very expendable. And I see a lot of veterans and I talk to a lot of guys that have been released by the UFC and it's like, well, you know, once you're in, that's it. They they have you. If you have to fight, you're not their, their you know, Anderson Silva. You're not their champ. You're not their, you know, Brian Ortega, the guy that they're really trying to promote. Then that's it. You're just, you know, meat to the wolves, you know. So for me, that's what I was. Again, 45 days, two fights, and I'd lose 26 and 28 pounds. They didn't care. It was either you fight or uh, that was my, my contract for August 4th. Either you fight now in 20 days' time. You're probably not going to fight again until next year. And it's like, that's more than four to six months. Uh, and I don't know when next year is. I don't know if you're saying early next year, mid next year at the end. So you're going to hold me for, you know, my, 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 I got the basic contract. How, how long is that going to last me? You know, I still have to pay my bills. I still have to do different things. I still have to now in a sense be an adult. So it's, uh, it, it was a struggle, but with brave, I have no worry whatsoever. And I know I'm being taken care of very well. No, I have to ask one question about this. I just have to do my due diligence. It does sound like they care deeply for you, and this is going to be a great deal. It is tied to the Bahraini government, which does have uh, some human rights issues. Any concern about being in business with them as a consequence? Um, honestly, no, because I'm not a very political person. I don't know much about that. You know, from what I see, I do talk to the Sheikh, I do talk to Mohammed Jahid, and I do talk to everyone involved in Brave and KHK. But for me, that's never come into my life. That's never come into my life. I'm not saying it's not a problem, but for me, this is not what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on fighting and building my career, and that's just what's in front of me. 
Any concerns? Not concerns exactly, but like you're going to be fighting in Manila. You'll probably be fighting in Bahrain. You'll probably be fighting in places outside of the U.S. Any concern about that in terms of building a brand as a U.S. entity? You know, for me, and this is something Brave is doing as well, is the U.S. market's already tapped. You know, everyone's really trying to get in here and the opportunity is very, very little, but there's not many stars outside of the country. I mean, I went to Saudi Arabia and we're we're in the mall in Saudi Arabia just hanging out doing the open workouts and people already know my name before I'm even signed to the promotion or even publicly signed to the uh, to the promotion. So it's it's a huge thing to finally in a sense, you know, why why can for example Manny Pacquiao from the Philippines be a huge star in the US but we can't be a huge star in the Philippines. So for me it gives us, you know, a different market of I don't want to just be known around the U.S. I want to be known around the world, mainly for being a two-time IMF world champion, now a seven-time, you know, Titan FC defending champion. I want to be another, you know, champion that for me is a, a hopefully a two-division brave champion. That's around the world. It is a global promotion, and that's the market I'm looking at. I don't know what your views were on fighter unions before. Have they changed as a consequence of this process? Um, I wouldn't say they've they've changed completely because I do believe there should be something more. For fighters, I, the union is obviously very, very hard because fighters are expendable. We come and go. There are injuries constantly, and it's it's insurance-wise and billing and all that stuff. It, it gets extremely complicated, but I do believe fighters easily should be paid more because, again, I fought once, you know, uh, defending or trying to win another belt for Titan FC, broke my hand, tore in my MCL. I was able to fight for another six to seven months. And what happens just in case if that fight ends up backing out, if that fighter ends up getting injured, then I have to wait possibly a few more months. So, you know, the pay is very, very low for someone else's entertainment. Hmm. What did you make, by the way, of how TJ Dillashaw looked down at 125? He made the cut, but the fight ended a little bit early. Obviously, the stoppage is somewhat in question. How did you view that whole thing? Yeah, it, it is a bummer. I think TJ looked phenomenal. Good for him because he he was ripped going down to 125. I know he has a, a a very very phenomenal coach, which I sadly never got to meet. But you know, training at the training lab and seeing what he's done and seeing his training when he was getting ready for uh, Cody Garbrandt one, he's he's a whole different athlete. And for Suhudo to be able to do that to him, I don't believe that's the weight cut. And TJ does get caught early. You see the. The Cody Garbrandt fight the first time. You even see the second time he was clipped a couple times, not dropped, but still hit a couple times. Suhudo just caught him, and the ref, I believe, stopped it a little too early. But again, it's it's fighter safety first. It's it's an unfair share of circumstances. But what's done is done, and I'm hoping they get a rematch at Bantamweight. Is it not weird that you have this moment where the best fighter that UFC's had in a long time leaves to go to one? They get this new flyweight champ who's bilingual, uh, former Olympic champ. He beats the 135 pound champ. And there's still designs on closing it. It's like, what what more could the flyweights do? I guess sell more tickets. But isn't it odd that at this moment of flyweight strength, it's being eroded? Well, I, I wish they would have would have prolonged this a little bit instead of releasing all the flyweights now. Maybe they should have waited for the TJ Suhudo fight. And if Suhudo won, which he did, then possibly really rebuild and now get this new hype in the flyweight division. But they started it so early that even though Suhudo won they've already cut more than 80% of the division. Oh, sorry guys. You can come on back. That that's my bad. We're not going to close the division. It's, it doesn't make sense for them. So for them, they're really just doing a process of elimination and still cutting as it goes. I believe Cejudo's a great champion. He's a phenomenal fighter, a gold medalist. Like you said, bilingual, he's not, he's not a Conor McGregor. He's not a Colby Covington. He's not someone that's easily marketable when it comes to his own persona. That's, that's the hardest part. I think again, Cejudo's a great guy and he means well, 
but he is a different individual that he more speaks with his talent instead of, you know, his mouth like Conor McGregor and Colby and all those other guys. Uh, but it sounds like what you're playing with your career is, you know, I talk to a lot of guys that leave the UFC and they go, yeah, you know what? I might go back one day. I uh, never know. You're still young. You never know where your life could take you. But when you think about a return to the UFC, is it even a real thought? Honestly, right now, no. Again, I'm 26. I was just released. I'm in a new promotion, Brave, and that's that's the biggest venture I'm looking at right now. We'll see where, you know, time takes me. We'll see where, where the world takes me. But right now, when it comes to the UFC, it's it's more of not money, but it's respect. You know, it's it's not just respecting myself, but respecting the fighters in general. And I just don't see that for mainly the flyweights of the smaller guys. And again, and I, I've noticed if you're not their, their number one guy, if you're not the guy that they're trying to build up, then, you know, who cares? I mean, even look at Sage Northcutt. Sage Northcutt left with a positive record, but he still was released as well. And now he's making something big in, in one I've seen. I think that's amazing for him as well. So in the end, is it... I don't know if it's good that the UFC got rid of their flyweight division, but if you are getting opportunities to make more money, to do commentary, to do events all over the world, on some level, I guess it is kind of good, right? Oh, I mean, it's it's amazing what I have right now. I mean, I'm I'm telling you what I what I'm receiving right now from Brave is something I expected from the most popular promotion in the world, which is the UFC. But that's not the case, and I've learned that even though UFC is on this pedestal. It's not the pinnacle of the sport. There's so many other promotions out there that can easily take care of you that much better. And for me, Brave is that promotion. And I mean, in only two years, I believe they're the fourth, if not third biggest promotion that have gone to 14 countries. I think the fights in the Philippines, there's 10 fights. All 10 fighters are from different countries. You know, they're extremely a global promotion. So they're not just going, hey, you're American. We're going to promote you in the U.S. No, they're going to the Philippines. Yeah, their main event is Filipino. But they're, they literally have everyone. My guy is from London, from what I know. You know, so all these countries, it's literally country versus country and representing their own nations. It is, a, uh, in a sense, a bigger or more professional world championship sense. Well, I got to tell you, I wish you nothing but the best of luck in your the next chapter of your career. Uh, March 15th, right? How, by the way, how can folks watch the fight? That one, I know Brave does have their own online streaming service. I can't remember the actual website. It's like brave.tv.something at the end. But overall, if anyone wants to look up Brave themselves, just type it in on Google, Brave CF. And, I mean, all their info is on their website. Most of the time, it's either on YouTube or through a streaming service. And it doesn't matter where you're at around the world. You're always able to rewatch it and just have fun and enjoy the fights. Shorty, I appreciate your time. Wish you nothing but the best of luck in March, and uh, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Hopefully next time I see you, I'll have my beard back. Yes, me too. (laughs) That would be great. I really appreciate it. Take care. Take care, Jose. All right, we go from one guest to the next. You know this gentleman. He needs no introduction. He is known as Wonder Boy. He's got a big fight coming up against Anthony Pettis. There he is. Everyone's in their car today. Hi, Mr. Wonder Boy. How are you? (laughs) Doing good, man. Doing good. Getting errands ran today, man. Headed out tomorrow for... uh... Well, I appreciate your time. Let's go ahead and get right into it. When this fight was announced, I liked it because it is unusual and there are some risks involved, but let's talk about some of the things that made people scratch their heads a little bit. If you get a win, a win in the UFC is always significant. It doesn't matter if you're at the top of the division or the bottom. So I'm not talking about that. What I am going to ask is, besides that, what do you get out of beating Anthony Pettis at 170 pounds? You know, that's a good question. 
Uh, that's something that I sat down and talked with my coaches about to see if we wanted to take this fight in the first place. Because, you know, beating you know, the former 145 champ, of course, he moved to 155, now wants to fight at 170. You know, what, what does that do for my career? Well, you know, Anthony Pettis has a name. And at this point in time, you know, I was out. I've been out for almost seven months. I had an injury after the tilt fight. And just one fight after the next that, I, that we were trying to shoot for, it just didn't happen. I tried to fight Lawler, uh, RDA, Ponzinibbio, and things just weren't happening. So, uh, to be honest with you, I was just ready to take anything that came my way. I was actually headed to Denver on a snowboarding trip, and I took my phone off of plane mode, and my phone was blowing up. You know, uh, That's how I got the word that he was uh, calling me out. So... I was like, you know what? I, I'll take anything, and and I'm not gonna. This is this is not a fight that I'm gonna take lightly. He does have some very good striking. He's got a knockout reel. So, but you know, I welcome him to open arms to 170. <laughs> so here's what I was thinking about. Tell me if I'm wrong. What I thought was, it's obvious what he gets. If he beats you, he beats what? Top five guy in the division. I think you were referring four last. It jumps him right to the front of the queue. Plus, he'd have a win in a third weight class. All, all that stuff. Um, so that part I get for you though, you mentioned he does have a name and he is coming up to 170. You are a natural 170 pounder. You are taller. You, you fit into this, the, the body type that works well in that weight class much more effortlessly. So for you, it's a more manageable fight. True or false? Uh, I would say true. I would say true. I mean, yeah, he is coming up to my weight. He doesn't have to cut the weight. You know, I guess. That could be a positive, maybe. But, you know, I'm not a big welterweight. I'm not a massive welterweight like Tyron. I don't have to cut a crazy amount of weight. You know, 15 pounds is 15 pounds. But, you know, you hear guys cutting 25, 30 pounds before a fight. And so I'm, I'm not drained the next day. You've never seen me step out there after a weight cut and just, except for once when I fought Matt Brown. I was walking around at 215. So, but, you know, I'm not a big welterweight. So I, it's going to be easy for me. Uh you said that other welterweights were saying no to opportunities with you? Well, you know, I tried to get the law. I was pushing Lawler really hard. You know, I was pushing it. The uh, UFC was saying that it may or may not happen. Lawler was saying it was going to happen. And then I was in New York helping Chris Weidman get, you know, prepped for his fight against Jacare Souza. And then they announced that he was fighting Askren. So I'm like, all right. So I tried to fight RDA. He said he was having surgery. Um, Leon Edwards, he said his sciatica was acting up. Uh, and then Ponzinibbio, he just said no. You know, so it, it, it just wasn't working out for me. Um, so I was just willing to take anything, to be honest with you. So for you, it's more important to stay busy than it is to wait for the right opportunity? Yeah, I mean, it, it keeps you in the limelight. You know, you see, you see this with fighters all the time. If you're not, if you're not staying active, you know, you kind of you kind of put on the shelf a little bit, and you know, I, I I'm I'm still going for that title. I'm not giving up on it, and I think with with some wins, no matter who it is, it's going to keep me where I'm at, or hopefully, will put that in the U you know put me with a good win over Pettis in the UFC's mind. To, hey, let's let's push this guy up a little bit. Let's let's get him a fight with us with another top five guy. You know, uh, there's a lot of guys right now who I'd like to fight, but they have fights coming up. But um. So it just wasn't working out for me in the 170, you know, the, the past few months. So I was keeping my fingers crossed, and next thing you know, you know, Anthony Pettis is calling me out. So I was like, sure, I'll, let's do it. And I think he thinks he's got my number. You know, I fought Tyron twice. He's got this, he's got the same coach, Duke, uh, Coach Rufus. 
and Rufus thinks she's got my number. So um, I'm here to prove him wrong. So you you believe that that Rufus thinks he has your number? No, no. I mean, he says that. Yeah, he comes from a karate background. You know, Anthony Pettis comes from a taekwondo background. But you know, I don't. You know, Tyron's a different fighter. Um, and still, he didn't have an answer for me. You know, he hit me in the fourth round with a right hand. He actually hit me with it twice. But that was, I think, it was it was more on on my fault. You know rushing in with my hands down than anything. Um, still didn't, he still was kind of confused. He still really didn't have an answer. And it was still a very close fight, both of them. You know, we got to draw the first fight. The second fight was controversial. So I, I don't think he's got my number. Um, you know, my style is very hard to, uh, you know, to bring in fighters for and, and to prepare for. So, you know, I think it's going to be an exciting fight. Anthony Pettis, is, he's got some really good striking come from his background, his Taekwondo background. So I think it's going to be fun. Now, when folks uh, zoom out, they take the macro perspective. They say, oh, Anthony Pettis, good striker. Wonderboy Thompson, good striker. But you're very different kinds of strikers. You kind of alluded to it. But in concrete terms, our audience can understand. Why are you different strikers? Well, you know, I think the way, um, you know, he's more of a, I'm more of a mover, I think more of an angler when whenever I whenever I fight whenever you see me fight I work a lot off of angles um using my kicks a lot I think I throw more variety of kicks than than than, than Pettis does um yeah he's got some crazy kicks man off the cage was it called the Pettis kick now that he did in WWC Showtime but um I think I don't know I, yeah the Showtime kick that's right the Showtime kick but uh I don't know man it, that's a good question like it's it's kind of it's it's very difficult to break down, because um, we are we have some similarities we have some differences. Well, I think he's he uses uh, he's more well rounded. Like he submitted some really good, some really good uh, high level grapplers in the past. I mean, his last fight at one I think it was one fifty five. He submitted uh, Kiesa, you know, which I thought was going to go the other way around. Um, yeah, he submitted him and uh, and was doing work and now. Yes, has moved up to 170, defeated uh, Carlos Condit. So I think that's another reason why he thinks he's going to do well in the 170 division because you got a lot of 155ers moving up. Of course, Cowboy Cerrone did well, has, has done well in my division. Um, he's moved back down. But, um, yeah, man, it, it's I, I always think I'm the better striker. I, I, I'm definitely the better striker um, than Pettis. So I've got the reach on him. I'm faster than him. And I'm coming with more power. And fair to say, you have just a more unique style. Now, Anthony Pettis has a very unique style and takes some risks, but is generally, I would say, some, and I'm, this is going to sound crazy, but you're right, in terms of that moving thing you do, that is much more rare, even with that creativity that Anthony Pettis does. So it's fair to say he's probably not fought a lot of movers like you. And again, I'm not saying you fought you know, Pettis' clone, that's not what I'm saying, but someone a little bit more in that tradition. Yeah, I agree. And you're start, but you are starting to see more of that style in the coming up in the UFC. I mean, uh, Gunnar Nelson, he comes from a karate background. Conor McGregor, when he fought uh, uh, Jose Aldo, his movement, man, was on point. And he uses that movement to really lure his partner in and uh, his opponent in. That's why he ended up landing that left hand. <clears throat> and I, and I you know, fight the same way. Anderson Silva's been known to fight that way as well. And now you're seeing Israel Adonis. 
doing the same thing. So you're starting to see, and one of the best, uh, MVP, Michael Page Venom, freaking amazing. Um, so you're starting to see more and more of it. But a lot of these guys have been doing this for years, you know? They've been doing this for a very long time, so it's hard for just some Joe Blow to pick it up and be able to do it out there in the octagon, you know, in, in six weeks or whatever. So, but yeah. you are seeing, seeing more and more of that style. What do you make of the welterweight division today? You noted, like, I mean, part of the reason you're in this position is because these guys are kind of standing pat at the top. Let's start there. You've got Wonderboy taking on Kamaru Usman. Forget the whole Colby Covington angle for just a second. You fought Tyron Woodley for a long time, 10 rounds, man. What do you make of Usman's <laughs> chances there? You know, I think Usman is a grinder, man. I think he can, for him to win, he's going to have to go out there and tire him out, just lay on Tyron. But it's very difficult because he's a D1 wrestler. You know, Tyron is a very explosive, very strong, um, athletic human being, and he's got great striking. I mean, he knocked down Ty uh, Darren Till in the second round with a right hand. He knocked me down twice, three times in our in both of our fights. Um, I think Usman is he's got a gas tank. I, I know that guy doesn't get tired. Tyron is is notorious for that, especially when uh, when he's fighting somebody who just is relentless. Um, and that's how Usman's going to be. I think that might, that will be his game plan. But that said, Usman does slow down. Like he doesn't stop. But his striking slows down tremendously. When you saw him fight RDA, he was throwing his punches, but he was dropping them like crazy. And Tyron will take full advantage of that. So, oh, man, I hate predicting fights. But <clears throat> I think for, for my career, it would be better if Usman won. I think it would be better if Usman won. And the fact that it gives me a better chance to fight for the title faster. Right, because you know? it'd be a it'd be a fresh matchup because you've already fought Tyron twice. If there's a new king at the top, it gives you exactly. more reason to be seen against him. Exactly, exactly, hundred percent. And if Tyron wins, man, I'll have to work my way back up, like you know, uh, several more. I have to fight, you know, more fights than I would if if uh, Usman got the title. And it is, man. And right now, it's it's kind of, kind of crazy because you got Kobe Covington, which. It's understandable, waiting for the title, waiting to fight for the title. I don't think he's going to face anybody. I know they tried to get him to fight Darren Till in London. And he's, it would be dumb for him to take that fight, to be honest with you, especially in London, you know. But, you know, Masvidal, I think, took that fight, right? Is it Masvidal? Yeah. Yeah, Masvidal. That's going to be a good one. Um, but, yeah, it was, we kind of had a stalemate there for a little while. I wasn't really sure who's going to be fighting for the title next. And then, then you hear there was going to be interim titles. So it's like, what the heck is going on? You know, for this division to be so stacked, it shouldn't be at a stalemate like it was for, for so long. What did you make of, by the way, Darren Till? You guys had a very, I mean, I know um, it was very close, your fight with him. And then he goes and fights Woodley and gets the doors blown off. I mean, I still think he's a very talented fighter. I think he's got a bright future. But that, you know, you went 10 rounds with him. Is it just a styles make fights kind of thing? What happened there? Yeah, I think so. And I think maybe the weight cut had something to do with it. Um, he doesn't cut weight very well, Darren Till. He looks like you know, like he's about to die whenever he does. He made weight. He told everybody it was going to do. But he performed a whole lot differently um, when he fought Tyron than when he fought me. Of course, he didn't make weight when he fought me. Um, and there was a lot, you know, in that first round when I fought when I fought Darren Till, that side kick to the knee, 
definitely slowed me down. I ended up tearing my MCL in the first round. And from then on, I was kind of playing like, you know, my knee felt very unstable. So I wasn't taking very many risks during that fight, you know. Um, but, hey, it, it goes to show, you know, what type of fighter Darren Till is. I mean, not Darren, uh, Tyron Woodley is. He's a beast, man. He's a beast. He's been, he was a champion at, what, Strike Force, right, for a while. Yeah. And then come to the UFC and just, just doing work and fight some high-level grapplers, high-level strikers, and winning. You know? Um, beast. I, I, I think, I, man, I, I think he's going to beat Usman. <laughs> I, I hope Usman wins, but I think, he, I think he's got it. I think Tyron's got it. No, the interesting part about this is what I was asking, like, what do you get out of a win? I think you're right. You get to stay active. If the fight's exciting, people will want to, like, you know, they look at you differently again. But then you got this weird Ben Askren fight with Robbie Lawler, right? Because the winner there could get a title shot, but only if it's Robbie, if Tyron wins, or if Usman wins, I guess it could be either. What I'm wondering is where do you fit into this whole thing with is you, Pettis, (laughs) and, and then, of course, Askren and Lawler. Like, where are you in that mix? You know what? That's a that's a good question, man. I mean, if Tyron does win, if Tyron wins, I don't think Askren would fight his buddy. You know, I know he's pushing to fight. I've, what I've seen on social media to go, you know, for them to make that 165 division. Uh, so he may want to cut to that. But if Usman wins, the winner of the Robbie and Askren may get that title shot, which which means I'll have to fight maybe one more time, which I don't mind. You know, I'll be 36 in a few weeks, but I'm a young 36 year old. You know. I haven't taken a whole lot of damage. Um, you know, we train we train here at our school uh, very, you know, very intelligently. So that way we're not beating each other up all the time. So I've, I've got some time. I've got some time. I've got a small window to kind of do what I want to do. And I just want to take every advantage of it. So, man, it's very difficult to, to really put me in that mix because, you know, where, where do I fit in? I mean, I, I may have to fight if, it really depends on who wins, to be honest with you. Who wins the Tyron Usman fight and who wins the Askin and Robbie fight? I think uh, it all depends on who wins there. Uh, all right, let, let me ask you about something a little bit differently. There's a uh, two middleweight fights that are happening this weekend, one with a gentleman you defeated in Robert Whitaker. How do you think he does against another former welterweight in Kelvin Gastelum? What do you make of that matchup? Man, that's going to be a great fight, man. I'm so looking forward to it. I'll actually be in Florida in an appearance for that fight. And with, uh, you know, Robert Whitaker has, has, is definitely a different fighter from when I fought him last. His takedown defense is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, and his cardio is out there. Like, the guy does not get tired. But, but Calvin Gastelum is the exact same. He's got very good hands, Gastelum does. He's got great wrestling. But I think Robert Whitaker is going to come out with the win. He's got he's got a uh, um, a longer reach. I think his movement and striking his his combinations are put together well, better than Kevin Gastelum. And if Kevin Gastelum gets gets um, overwhelmed with the striking, I don't, he's not going to be able to take uh, Whitaker down. I don't think. Um, and Whitaker is a he's huge. I remember you know standing in front of him, facing off with him at 170. I mean, big barrel chests, yeah. I mean, big arms, big shoulders. And I saw him not too long ago, and he's massive. He's massive. He's not a he's not a big big, one eighty fiver, but he's just solid, you know, which is which is great. Um, I'm taking Whitaker on this one. 
And then Israel Adesanya, one of the most exciting talents in the sport. You were just talking about him a second ago, taking on Anderson Silva. This has been a, a sort of a point of debate, I think, on this show and other ones. It's like, of course, of course, everybody has respect for Anderson Silva, truly one of the greats of the game. But the question is sort of what he has left at this point. Adesanya is still in his 20s and just running right. through people. What do you make of this matchup? How competitive in the end do you think it will be? You know what, to be honest with you, I, I don't think it will be. I mean, from watching Anderson Silva's last few fights, he just looked very, he wasn't the same. You know, I think whenever he broke his leg, when he fought um, his shin, when he fought Weidman, took a lot out of him. I mean, he was out for a very long time. And he just doesn't, I don't know, I don't know if he, he doesn't have that drive or that that timing like he used to have. He just he just felt very, very slow and, and uh just didn't have that timing like he used to. I've spent some time with Anderson Silva and Leo Tomachita when they were training at Black House in California. This is before I was in the UFC. I was looking for a management. And uh, my brother-in-law, Carlos Machado, knew the, the guys up there, up there at Black House. So I spent a few weeks up there training with Anderson, and, and which was a dream come true for me. You know, me being a, you know, coming from a karate and kickboxing background, Anderson Silva was like my idol in Leo Tomachita, especially with his karate background. And from sparring with him and seeing him then and to see him, his last few fights with Bisping and I forgot who else it was. It just, it, you can, there, there's a difference. There, there is a big difference. I think Israel is going to go out there and school. I mean, it would be cool. I think it would be very cool to see Anderson, him being the veteran, go out there and just finish him. Um, that would definitely put a smile on my face, but I don't see it happening. Well, I know what I am going to see happen. I'm going to see you fight Anthony Pettis. This will be March 23rd at the Bridgestone Arena. Main event for UFC on ESPN Plus 6, which is a weird name, but UFC Fight Night 148. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. It's a, it's a really weird and interesting fight, but it's got my attention, and uh, I look forward <laughs> to seeing the result. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you for your time. Anytime, my brother. Definitely a pleasure. Hopefully we can do it again sometime. We certainly will. There he goes. Go get those errands done. The one, the uh, Wonder Boy there. All right, we go next to uh, we, the Skype machine. Is going to be stay busy today. Truly, one of my favorite people in the sport. Former fighter himself and a phenomenal coach. I don't think gets nearly enough credit. I wanted to get him on the show today, even though I know he's been traveling. Uh, Ricardo Almeida. Hey, Ricardo. Why do some people call you Ricardo when we call every other Ricardo in the sport Hicardo? Which which is it? I don't know, man. I, just, I guess I've been in the U.S. for too long. Not too many people think I'm Brazilian anymore. You know, I don't, I'm not sure, but it's cool both ways. No problem. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah, of course, Ricardo. I love uh, talking to you. You're one of my favorite guys in the sport. First of all, congratulations. Could that have gone any better for Marlon yesterday? Did we lose him? Si signals fading. Let's see what's up with that signal. Y'all want to put the thumbnail up till we get him back? Let's get him back here. Is he still in Brazil? He must be. <laughs> that money Brazilian internet. <laughs> uh, I can't talk too much. The U.S. internet's not that great uh, either. Hey guys, uh, there he is. That, man, my signal where I am is horrible. Also, I forgive me if it's really bad. No, you're back now. There we go. One more time. Let's try it again. How was? Um, how would you rate that sure. win for Marlon? Man, I think it's a 10 out of 10, you know. Um, you know, he showcased all his, his power, his speed, his timing, 
is a finishing instinct. You know, I think Marlon is the type of guy that you watch him hit pads or you watch him even just warm up and you know he's special. And sometimes it takes many fights for people to, to, to show that in a fight. And Marlon has been showing that, you know, every fight uh, since his first fight in the UFC. So I think it was perfect for him to come back and, and beat the only guy that he had lost to in the past, I don't know, five, six years, you know? You know what? It was, I was just watching this fight. There were so many things I liked about what he did. Let me start with one thing. And it's not what he did. It's just who he is. We talk about the best athletes in the UFC. For some reason, I don't see Marlon's name on that list, Ricardo. My God, Marlon is a phenomenal athlete. Why don't? Why doesn't he get credit for that? All right, we got to do this. Let's call him back. Let's put, put up the thumbnail. We got to call him on the phone because we got to get this done the right way. I am dying to have this conversation. Plus, we got to get to the sound off, donks. You know what I'm saying? Got to keep this train rolling. But I said it before on the uh, Monday Morning Analyst. It's like, I'm not saying people don't consider him a good athlete. That's not my point. But, like, if you're listing out, like, oh, who's a phenomenal athlete? I, I don't usually see Marlon's name bandied about. Uh, it needs to be. <laughs> it needs to be. And, again, not because he's some raw athletic power who does nothing else. No, no, no. I think part of the reason people don't bring it up, and this is just a theory, I don't, I don't really know, is because he is so technical, right? He, yes, he looks you know, physically strong, but he is so technical, he is so sharp, he is so well-rounded that he doesn't necessarily need some of those other things. So he doesn't like lean on them in such a way where, you know, Yuval Romero is so athletic, but you know, he got into MMA in his late 30s or early 40s, and so... You know, he has to lean on it a little bit more. Marlon's not that way, and so I think folks just don't necessarily consider him one of those guys. Uh, but Jesus, man, he is a ridiculous athlete. It's kind of amazing to watch. All right, we're going to try and get him back here on the uh, on the phone because that internet is not money. Um, but I thought that was just an un – I mean, how much better of a win could that have possibly been for Marlon? It's hard for me to imagine it could have gone much better. That was just amazing. An amazing, amazing win. Uh, number one contender? Has to be, right? Has to be. I spoke to TJ Dillashaw, I want to say, ooh, when was this? Fight week? Fight week for UFC on ESPN Plus for one? And he was like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't have a contender anymore. Uh, that's why the 125 fight makes sense. And I'm like, okay. I mean, he's, it was true. Like, those two guys had to fight. Okay, well, they fought. Now, now it's pretty clear. All right, let's try it one more time. Let's go to our friend here on the phone. It's Ricardo. Hi, Ricardo. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you perfect, man. Okay. I'm sorry so, for the signal again. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Let's get back to it. You were saying the win was a 10 out of 10. Did he do everything you guys wanted him to, Marlon, on, on Saturday? I mean, he always game plan, and he always, uh, he always you know, try to give the fighter, like, uh, like a clear picture of, you know, where the – you know, where the, where the slippery slopes are and, you know, like where, where they should, you know, how they should try to win. But, you know, like you never really go according to plan. But um, Marlon is just the type of guy that he can make something special out of, out of anything, you know. And, and, and he's starting to really show that in the UFC, you know. He's starting to really have the performances that he was having late in his, uh, his career at um, World Series of Fighting, you know. Like he just beat like three three, like, world-class, 
uh, guys and, and, you know, the entire fighting time doesn't equal around me. So it's, it's pretty impressive, you know. Like, I was, I was, like, impressed. I see the guys sparring all the time, but, you know, one round is going with Frankie, another round is going with the beat, and then he's going with some other Russian dude. And, and you forget just how good these guys are, and then they get out there, and I'm like, wow, like, I'm taken back just by, you know, his performance for sure. Okay, so a few questions about this. Obviously, he's the top contender at this point. Uh, what do you think was the difference, though, between the first Asuncel fight and this one? I mean, yes, he won more quickly, but in terms of how good he is and his approach, like, what was the major difference? I mean, I think that um, when you go into the UFC and you start to fight, uh, you start to fight there. I think there's without a doubt. Uh, like a step up in competition, uh, besides maybe like one or two or three guys in the in the organizations like outside of the UFC, you know, like so almost every fight you're gonna get a really really tough guy, and and once you step into the top five, man, it's like it's like you roll the dice, you know what I mean? Like every one of these main events is just it's just so hard to keep winning, you know, like as a as a coaching staff, like me and Mark, like we go into these fights, you know. It's, it's a main event with Frankie, then it's like a main event with Marlon, then it's like, you know, a main event with Eddie. And it's hard to put back-to-back wins, you know. But So what I think Marlon has done, you know, like not necessarily doing like three main events in the world, but like three top five, top ten guys in a row um, and be able to win in that fashion, uh, I think he's just more comfortable, you know. He's, he, he, he knows what he needs to do. He's more comfortable. Like he's not holding himself back. So I think time, you know, it's experience. The experience, I think, is the big key. You know, he's able to let go more and, 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 re- and truly be, like, everything that he can be as a fighter. When I, I asked you this before, but we got the connection cut off, it was just occurred to me that, like, Marlon is so good at so many things, decision-making, he's got crisp boxing, his footwork is good, he sets everything up. But he's, like, a ridiculous athlete. Why don't you think he gets credit, or more credit, I should say, for being a, one of, maybe one of the best athletes in the UFC? I think that, yeah, and I agree with you, man. Like, he's one of the most athletic guys I've ever seen. Like, some of the things that you see Marlon doing in the gym, just like just like messing around, you know. I think that he doesn't get the credit because Marlon is so technically sound. You know, like his defense is so good. And, you know, his, his power, he's got so much power, you know. Yet, like, he's never really super flashy. He's just devastating. You know what I mean? Like, you take a guy, he'll do, you know, even Edson's uh, big spinning kick knockout, you know, that was that was devastating, but that was also, like, super flashy. And, and Marlon, you know, without flash, but with, you know, decisive violence, he's able to finish these guys. So always people are going to think that he's an athletic guy. Maybe they're just going to think that he hits that hard or, 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 you know, he's been in some fights, he's finished guys so quick that he hasn't really had to show his athleticism, you know? By the way, have you gone back and watched the fight on video yet? I have, and I just—I was actually at the airport uh, leaving because I left right after the fight. I went straight to the airport in Puerto Rico, and I saw like the finish. But yeah, just that, that finishing combo where he slips and then he throws like an uppercut and a hook, and you know, um, Asuncion steps back, drops his hand, he hits the first right hand, and then he just changes the speed, he hits another uh, another one two. It was incredible, man. Like just the speed and power in that, in that, and and to be able to follow up and finish, it was, it was just. I, I had my mouth open at the end. I was like, man, how, how, did, how did you just do all that in like two minutes? You know, it's crazy. 
Okay, here's one thing, and I'm legitimately asking because I have no idea. Uh, obviously, he won via mounted arm and guillotine, but I went back and I watched this. You're a black belt, a high-level one at that. Asun Sal had both his hands free and then brought them both to the inside to defend. Why, why did he do that? Man, I think that when Marlon uh, started to squeeze and he pulled guard, he was free. And I think that uh, I think that uh, Asun Sal brought the arm down to try to block the hip as he rolled, you know? And Marlon was smart. Like he stepped, he stepped the, the leg on the same side of the choke because that's the one that you kind of, you know, you 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 want the the guy to you'll be trapping there. Mm. And like on the roll, he was able to end up above and climb and get above the arm. So that's when someone's arms were strapped, and then he had to pull that arm out from the the arm that was stuck in the guillotine to be able to get the finish. You know, so to be able to tap. So he was pretty impressive. I couldn't really see from the angle that I was. I just could see Marlon like dropping the hips and him having to pull arm to tap. I don't I don't know. A lot of times in the transition, guys don't don't try to do that. But as you as you roll, you know, you end up above the arms. You see a couple of finishes like that with Gary Tonner has done a couple of finishes like that too. Interesting. Okay, I'll go back and look at it another time because that one kind of confused me. It was a little weird, but it was devastating all the same. I mean, you get a tap from Rafael Sunsau, you earn it, and uh, and he certainly did. Now that leads us to the next step. You have got to like his chances against anyone in that weight class. Tell me how, in your mind, that you think Marlon matches up with TJ Dillashaw. Yeah, I just think the the raw power and defense of uh, of Marlon, you know, and and I I, I think VJ uh, uh, is going to be trying to like move around and and you know, kind of come in from angles and things like that. And I I think honestly I think that's a perfect style for Marlon. I think uh, Dillashaw's weakest uh, spot is his wrestling. To be honest, you know what I mean? Like he's not, he's not the type of guy that could. You know, threatened with a whole lot of takedowns. Like he could take down like a couple of guys, but he's, he's gotten taken down a lot. And, and I don't think that he, he has like that takedown button. You know what I mean? They, you know, I want to take this guy down. I'm going to take this guy down. So, man, if you're going to fight Marlon standing for 25 minutes, I just, I just think it's hard, you know, like not to take anything away from, uh, from TJ. I mean, like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of TJ. He's, he's amazing. Well, some of the things that he has done. Uh, he's probably one of my favorite uh, guys to watch, like his striking, you know, he's, he's like in and out and he's very elusive and, and he has a lot of tools, but I don't consider him like a super complete guy. And man, like in this weight class, uh, if you're not going to threaten with everything, I think that was the huge evolution of Cejudo in his second fight with, uh, with, uh, Mighty Mouse, where he was able to threaten the takedowns. He was able to hit him. He was able to kick him. And I think that's uh, that's what made him uh, be able to beat uh, Dillashaw. You know, like Dillashaw had to worry about the takedown. He had to worry about all these other things. And, and I think in a fight where, you know, Marlon and TJ, I think the winner is going to be the guy that's able to be more complete and, and threatened with different things. You know, and and, and I honestly think it's a it's a great matchup for Marlon's style. What, how much of uh, the loss that TJ just suffered, how much of that do you attribute to the weight cut? Man, you never know. You know, like, it's, like that's the thing about the sport, man. Like, like I, I said it earlier, you know, like you take, 
you take the top two or three or five guys in each weight class, and it's literally like a roll of the dice. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of times that roll of the dice is what happens on that day or what happens on that week. Um, as far as the weight cut, I think that if I if I had to nitpick on on something, I think the weight cut might might have affected him because we haven't seen him, you know, get rocked, you know, like that. And Cejudo is like a, a 125er. And he's like he's a tough guy, and you know, every wrestler is strong as hell and has really good right hands, but he's not known for like devastating power or anything like that, you know. So it, it makes me wonder if the wake up was just too much, and 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 just from personal experience, if I had to say anything, I think yeah, I think the wake up definitely affected. You know, that you take the weight, that doesn't mean that you're gonna be, you know, 100% uh, hydrated during the fight. Like no matter what the, no matter what the scale is telling you, no matter what all the science is telling you, there are just certain things in fighting are just intangible, you know. And then that led to the. Uh... I, I won't call his, I won't call Marlon's post-fight speech hilarious. Although certain admissions about his biological condition were a little bit worth chuck, chuckling about in the way that he described him. But in all seriousness, I guess he was sick. Can you tell us how sick he was during the week? And he was so sick, he didn't any one of us because he didn't want to worry us. You know, like we got to we got to to Brazil and like you know like we knew that he had felt sick, but you know like not like. The extent, you know, because we got there Friday, he had already made weight. I did notice that he looked lighter than he normally does, you know, but he never complained to me, never said anything. And, but then, as, as far as his speech, that's Marlon, you know, like he's, he sometimes can be a little emotional and he's very sincere 100% of the time, you know, he's one of the most like simple and humble guys and, and, and just very sincere, you know, like he, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve and everything he does and, and he's the type of guy that, you know, what you see is what you get. And, and if he's going to talk about, <laughs> you know, talk about diarrhea on, you know, like a, the whole world's going to hear about his medical condition, then, then the whole world's going to hear about his medical condition. But that's just, that's just who he is as a person. He's very sincere. Okay, but in the end, he got the, he got the W. You know, here's the only thing about this Ricardo that I do think works against him. You know, he's headlining these shows, and that was a great show in Brazil. Not merely his win, but the vibe was great. And from a uh, spectator's position on, you know, in the United States, watching on the ESPN Plus app, it looked phenomenal. But he's got all these wins, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Not exactly a household name here in the United States. Like, do you think he is going to get the title shot next? Do you think he's done enough? Because on the popularity side, the wind is not exactly at his back. Yeah, you know, it's, I think it's a it's it's a weird time in the UFC. You know what I mean? Like there's there's no um, there's no consistency. You know, like there's no like oh, you know, if you do this, you know, that guarantees you a title shot. Or you know, if you, if you rank this high and you beat somebody that's ranked this high, then there's really like no consistency. It's the first year with the ESPN deal, so you know. We don't really know like what's gonna happen as far as like what's gonna dictate that if they're gonna bring the big fights to to you know you know to pay per view and try to sell more pay per views or if they're gonna do big fights on the like, You never know like what they're doing. Like to me, that's been the biggest uh, the biggest thing that I've noticed uh, since the new ownership took place. Just like you know, you just try to observe and you know, of course, you want to win, and if you want to, you want to be a champion, and 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 that part. I think there, there's been like a little lack of consistency, like with all these super fights and 
And, um, you know, Connor's kind of like added to that a little bit. And, and, and often in a good way, you know, like if, it's, if you're going to see these huge fights, then I want to see the huge, the best fights, when it's the best fighters fight each other. And I do think that the TJ Dillashaw with uh, Cejudo was a very interesting fight. But now what? Now you have a champion that just lost to somebody from a lower weight class. And it what does that do for the entire division? And, man, Dillashaw is probably one of the best 135ers, uh, is one of the best 35ers in history. So now what? You know what I mean? Like, uh, as far as where, this, where does that put Marlon? I think Marlon's in a really good position, man. You know, like, I think that the best position you could be is to do everything right with what you have control of. You know, like, he's, like, beating the best guys, like, decisively and, you know, violently, you know. Like, I think that people look at him and you see a special fighter that's from this new generation of Brazilian guys where there aren't many special fighters, man. I have to say that when I am from Brazil, you know, like, I see a huge, uh, a huge gap between, you know, the generation of, you know, Anderson and, and Vitor and, and, you know, Minotauro and... And even Damien, who's now on the later end of his career, you know what I mean? Like he's never won a title, but he's been one of the most successful guys in UFC history as far as like finishes and, and fights. Um, but, you know, I think is great. I think is going to end up being like a superstar here in Brazil, you know, just because of how good he is. And, and, and the more he fights, the more people are going to see it. And people in Brazil here, they lack like, you know, someone to really look up to now, especially as Aldo is probably like Aldo's last year. I think he's in a great position, and, and you know, you just got to keep working hard, have patience, and, you know, you're going to get what you're supposed to get. Well, if he doesn't get the next title shot, it'll be a crime. Not saying crimes don't happen, but it would be a crime if he didn't get it. He looked phenomenal. Um, I'll just say this, Ricardo. Congratulations. Uh, you guys are doing great things over here in New Jersey, and... I was just blown away by Marlon. I hope the UFC feels the same as I do because that guy is special. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys so much for having me. And yeah, man, I want to see him fight against. I want to see all our guys fight against you. You know, like I'm a huge fan of our guys. Like sometimes I forget like how good they are. The beats up next. Uh, we got Eddie like at the end of March, and I can't wait to see Frankie fight again. So it's, it's exciting times for us for sure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Ricardo. Take care. What a great guy he is. Uh, I could have talked to him for an hour. We just don't have an hour. Uh, but here's what we do have time for. This is where you become a guest of the show. It is time for the sound off. <laughs> I had not heard these new noises. I didn't know we were getting them. This is awesome. I knew we were getting the new intro thing, but I didn't know about that. That's kind of fun. Uh, all right, let's go to our man now. He is the Ahi to my Arepa. He is uh, the rain to my Bogota, the one and only Danny Segura. Hi, Danny. Yo, what's up, man? How are you? Good. Why are you wearing a jacket Dude, indoors? So, yeah, good question. So uh, Austin here has the vents pointed straight at me, so I've been shivering all show. So, you know, I didn't bring a sweater, so I got I to gotta pull out the jacket. Shivering like a little chihuahua in a rich lady's purse, huh? Sure, yeah. <laughs> if that's the way we're going to go about things. All right. How were the uh, calls, my friend? They were good, man. The calls were really good. Uh, very good questions uh, you'll see on, on, on the show. We also had some leftovers. Since we didn't have a show last week, we didn't get to talk about Bellator, so maybe we'll Yeah, we'll I was wondering it. if you were yeah. going to balance them out. Yeah, because I do think it's important to talk about some of the be things that happened at Bellator 214. It was a big card, pretty big uh, Bellator card. So um, let's tackle UFC Fortaleza, and then if we'll have time, we'll, we'll address that. Okay, let's do Sounds it. Sounds good? Yes. All right, let's do it. 
Hey, Luke and Danny, this is Boyd from Salt Lake City. Just calling to ask what your favorite moment from the uh, UFC card was. And for me, it had to be when Michael Bisping mentioned that Johnny Walker could be one of the best light heavyweights in the world at the very moment that Johnny Walker is doing the worm across the cage like a complete weirdo. (laughs) See ya. Yeah, you know what? Johnny Walker. Dude, that's a different dude. He is he is totally weird. Yeah. I would love to get him but in the studio. Weird. Yeah, no, awesome no, not weird. bad, yeah. not you know, not like yeah, yeah. not like drop your pants at the bus stop weird. More like uh tells weird stories, but they're kind of funny at the party kind yeah. of weird. Um yeah. That was a tremendous one. I have a great respect for Justin Ledet. I think that he has a great jab. He's one of the one of the best jabs in the light yeah, heavyweight dude. division. Um yeah. and sure. that was, you know, I won't call that a fluky win. I don't know how many times you could replicate that over time, but but still, dude, he's powerful. He's athletic. He he fights without fear, and he's fun. Favorite moment from the card? Got to be Jose Aldo jumping into the cage. Uh, sorry, into the uh, crowd. Got to okay. be. Got to be. Got to yeah, be. Gotta that be. was cool for sure. Yeah. What about you? Um, I don't know. I really liked seeing you know Tiago Alves dig deep, and you know he he's had a few losses. It kind of you know it was in his home city. It just it just felt nice watching him. And the decision, I I thought for example uh, Griffin won. I didn't think Tiago Alves won, but regardless of the decision. It was a competitive fight, yeah. a fun fight, and uh, it's nice seeing a veteran, man. Dude, he's been around since 2005. Yeah, bro. Dude, he's been fighting in the UFC since 2005. His first UFC pay-per-view was like UFC 56 if, or something like that. If your kid was born when Tiago Alves joined Dude, the— I was in middle school. I think I was in seventh grade. Hold on. <laughs> think about it. If your kid was born when Tiago Alves went to the UFC, he'd be a freshman in high school now. That's pretty crazy. That is wild. That is insane. And yeah. he's out here. He's not fighting bums either. Max Griffin no, is a no, very no. good fighter. Yeah. I mean, Max Griffin beat uh, Mike Perry not so yeah, long ago. Exactly, yeah, exactly, dude. He's no slouch. So, exactly. Was, I, I agree that the decision was a little bit off, but um, yeah. okay. There was a few that it, it was competitive, you know. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, this was an interesting question. All right. Let's see it. Is hey, it about diarrhea? From Brooklyn, no. New York. I am furious. The uh, ESPN Plus uh, style of doing an entire main event card in about an hour and a half is. It's too fast, okay? I don't have a lot going on in my life. I'm Drop done dead. At 10.30? What am I supposed to do with my night now? I have no one to call or hang out with. I just yeah, go meet girls. To keep me busy. What should I do with the rest of my night now that they're done at a reasonable hour? Bye. All right, first of all, Diego, you're absolutely crazy. The ESPN timing was amazing. Dude, was that not? Dude, I didn't realize. It was so nice. I'm being dead serious about this. I didn't realize how bad it was. Oh, sorry. Yeah. My thing just collapsed here. I didn't realize... Uh, I didn't realize how much it was taking out of me. I was literally watching those FS1 cards, resentful of the sport. Like, I cannot believe I have wasted my stupid life doing this. And now I feel like, oh, my God, like, what do you want to do? Go to the bar, read a book, do some sit-ups, learn how to cook, uh, go to Great Courses Plus. I don't know. Sit there and meditate. Play FIFA. Go to bed early. You got so many options, bro. Man. You, got you got so, so many, many things options. you can do yeah. with your life he, now, he man. He lives in Brooklyn. Go get some food, man. There's great food in Brooklyn. Go get some comida. Whatever you got to yeah. do, man. To me, I was sitting there watching, being like, I had no idea what I was missing. I had no idea what yeah. I. It felt so much better. It was, dude. That FS1 cards, the way they were doing it, was such a tax on our lives. Yeah, yeah. I hated Especially it. Especially for the media too, because. You know, the fans watch the fights, and when they're over, they're over, right? Yeah. Like, the media has to stick around for the press conference, right, if they're working that night. Um, that night, I was watching the fights. I was tweeting them live, but I wasn't necessarily uh, working. So after I was I was done 
uh, with the fights. I was done. Yeah. And, uh, man, it was awesome. I, I went to celebrate uh, my friend's birthday. <laughs> I saw your Instagram story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to Constanza Gallardo. She, uh, it's her birthday on Tuesday. So we went out to celebrate. And I, I can't believe all the things that I did on Saturday. Because, like, we start at, what, like 6 p.m. usually? With the FS1 card, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it takes up your entire day, yeah. you know? And look, I'm sure some are going to go late, and the pay-per-views are still going to yeah. be what they are. But this is the best part about it. Before, they had to make every card work for FS1 schedule. Yeah. And so you were having cards in Argentina or in Chile or in Brazil that were ending at 3 or 4 local time in the morning. Something absurd. Now they get to put it back uh, when, you're, when you're streaming. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Folks are going to catch it live. They're going to catch it after the fact. Sorry, my microphone's having some issues here. Um, so you can have it end at a reasonable hour in Brazil and not have to worry about it anymore because you're just streaming. One of the benefits of streaming. On the other hand, one of the downsides is I'm not sure how many people saw it. That was the only part that kind of concerned me. Yeah. Um, w when the fight card actually rolled in, I was like looking at the main card. I'm like, oh, shit, this is actually a pretty good card. Like, this is a solid card. Um, and yeah, but for some reason it didn't feel like a big event. I wonder if maybe if they would have switched, uh, the co-main and main, if like Jose Aldo was like featured as the main guy. Uh, I wonder if that would have changed anything around because he is a former champ pay-per-view. You know, he's done so many pay-per-views as well. I, I can't claim to have watched ESPN on Sunday, so I don't know if they covered it at SportsCenter. I don't know what they did, hmm. but everything just felt so Super Bowl heavy on Sunday that it kind of drowned it out a little That's bit. That's true. Which it was, was also a big weekend for sports. So, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I, you know, we'll have to see how it goes. But by the way, I didn't realize this. Do y'all call the Super Bowl Super Tazón? El Super Tazón. <laughs> Uh, I, I believe that's more in Mexico. Football is actually really big in Mexico. Yeah, for folks who may not know, it's like literal Super Bowl, like, yeah, a, like a like a bowl of cereal. Yeah, yeah. Um, super Tazón. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, okay, what's next? All right, uh, let's talk about some matchmaking. Let's talk about that Coleman event. All right. Hey Luke, this is Jack um, from New York. So I kind of have a you know general comment about all the Morcano. I believe that match was terrible matchmaking by the UFC. It was a losing situation for them. Um, if all the wins, which he did, obviously, he kind of hindered McConnell's trajectory and kill off one of the brightest young stars in Brazil. If McConnell won, he becomes vilified in Brazil for being Brazil's favorite star and becomes disliked by the Brazilian population, which he, you know is supposed to be the next heir to. Um, you want the young star to get his pop in his home country, and McConnell got absolutely no pop. I feel like that hinders his ability to become popular in Brazil. Um, and it's very, you know, a very short-sighted um, kind of idea on what they did. All right, let me know what you think about that. Bye, Luke. Do you agree? Um, okay, here's what's interesting about that. I know on our site, I don't think, I, I know for a fact um, our videographer, Casey, didn't like the matchmaking. He knows a lot mm -hmm. about the sport. I, I'm not sure if Jed liked it. I can't rem or disliked it. I cannot remember. Jed dislikes everything. I so. know. He truly is the yeah. world's angriest man. <laughs> uh, he just needs a trash can and uh, a green body paint, and he is Oscar the Grouch for sure. But it, it, but they but they had, in fairness to both of them, uh, they had raised, uh, what this guy is raising, yeah. some pretty legitimate objections. Here's the thing about it. You heard Ricardo talking about it. Brazil is up against a challenge. Because the class that Ricardo came from, the Vitors, and Ricardo Almeida got out of MMA in 2011, but you yeah. know he was the ADCC medalist, and he had a great career in MMA. And then you had the Marilla Bustamantes and the um, the Aronas and the Babalus and the Noguera brothers and Anderson 
and Shogun and Ninja and yep. all this Vandalay and this incredible class. I mean, I remember when there was like so many good Brazilian fighters that Brazilian top team yeah, yeah, versus yeah. shoot to box was like this big I mean, rivalry. And a one a one time at some point in time, we had like like six UFC champions or something like that, like or, or five UFC Brazilian champions at the same time or something. And like to that. the to the previous yeah. question that that we had been raised on the tweets. They still produce an enormous amount of talent. Yep. But our own Guillermo Cruz had noted, one, that regional MMA has really suffered with the economic contraction and some other regulatory issues that have happened in Brazil. And two, here's the big thing the UFC is looking for. They are looking for the next big Brazilian star, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where Bohashinha comes in, Paulo yep. Costa. Hanato Moicano was one. I think they're still looking to maybe see if he can turn that corner. Thomas Almeida for a while was maybe going to be one of those guys. And they Johnny just Walker Johnny now. Walker. We'll yeah. see what happens with him. But none of these guys yet have gotten crossed into that next threshold. And you're getting these other yeah. Brazilian guys. Silva's in his 40s. Jacare is right around then. Nogueras are out of the well. I think Little Knock's still in the sport. Little Knock's but, still fighting. But you get the idea. I mean, they're all aging out a little bit here. And so they're trying to find the next one, and it's just been a bit of an issue. My thought is I hear the objections from people who didn't like it, yeah. and I can't really say they're wrong. But to me, I kind of want to know what Moicano was made of. Is he ready or is he not? Pretty yeah. clearly he's not. And uh, well, if you're not, you're not. I guess. No, I said right I, now. I didn't say ever. Right, right, right. I said right now. I mean, I, I do I do understand where this call is coming from. I Not necessarily like I feel like if Moicano would have won, because it's a gamble, right? What if Moicano would have won? Who knows what would have happened then, right? But I feel like at this point, anybody you match up Jose Aldo with at 145, it's pretty much a bad matchup because he's clearly not going to beat Max Holloway. I mean, we saw that twice. We saw that play out twice, and it played out kind of the same way, right, both times. But he's still clearly that number two guy. Like, any, anytime you put him up, he's kind of going to be like your Joseph Benavides in the sense of, like, he might not be the the champion, but he can beat every single other contender. Right. So he's not going to be fight the he's not going to be fighting the champion anytime soon because he's got two losses. But he's going to kill every contender if you give him the chance. Yeah, but people act like that was a given. I think after the two Max fights, there was a question of what he had left. Now, yes, now, I guess. It, now in looking back, it's like okay, well he couldn't beat Max, but. Uh, Max is pretty good, yeah. and uh, it looks like he's got some life left. So partly it was a fact-finding mission. If folks could tell that Jose was good and this was all unnecessary, fine. I, I don't. I understand people's objections. I I think sometimes you got to go on a fact-finding mission, and that's what this was. Yeah, again, not horrible, but I can I can definitely see the concerns. All right, let's talk uh, about Aldo one more time. Happy Monday. Uh, this is the Irish Mexican calling from Los Angeles, California. And my question has to do with Jose Aldo. Pretty good job Aldo, on the Rams. Last two fights has looked like a beast, like his former self. Um, where do you see him going from here? Because essentially he's in a position similar to where Joseph Benavides, your right favorite, is that they're always right now currently the number one best fighter behind the champion. And that's where Aldo is right now behind Max Holloway. You see him possibly moving up to 155 because for new matchups, possibly trying to work his way to a lightweight title shot, or do you see him staying at 145? Um, I know Conor McGregor went on Twitter saying he would love to fight in Brazil, so what if there's any possibility of Aldo versus Conor, UFC 237, Curitiba in that soccer stadium? So that's my question. Much love. Have a wonderful week. Take care. Can I tell you, I'm just not, I like, I don't hate it or anything, but like this thing where like, oh, an event ends and Connor just gives his thoughts on it and like I have to like react to it. It's like I don't 
not that I, okay, to say I don't care is not true, but I don't like especially care. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of fighters weigh in. I feel like it, it used, I feel like, no, I do get where, where, where it's coming from because in a sense, like Conor McGregor's very, he's not out there tweeting like 24-7, like hashtag UFC Fortaleza. Oh, what a great, yeah, you know, and this He and has that. a right to share his opinion, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and he might fight Jose, I guess, at yeah. some point. But So when he tweets, it does feel like, oh shit, like, you know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's onto something here. Also, you know, it's just like, it's like, oh, I'm like, you know, like the king has weighed in now and now we all have to pay attention. It's also like, well, it's just his opinion and let's, we should all move on with our day. I, yeah. we, I, we over, we overemphasize, I think the importance of it to a degree. Um, that being said, um, what do we attribute this to with Aldo? Okay. A couple of things. Number one, the three round fights, I think is an important part. Yeah. Um, no, he is. Uh, he doesn't have to conserve his energy. I think he he was conserving his energy a bit in those five round fights. I think also he got a bit content. I'll be honest with you. I think he got a little content to just win rounds and and go about things. He knows the yeah. end is. I, I felt that way when he when he was fighting Frank Edgar. Yeah, and when he fought yeah. uh, you know Chan Sung Jung, I just didn't really feel any urgency from him. He did get the finish though. Sort of. It was a bit of an uh, yes. He right. did. I mean, there was, there was some injury yes, involved. Yes. Yeah. Um, to me, so it was the three round fights. Number one. You know, he here's the thing. He's still fighting very good fighters in Jeremy Stevens, and yeah, now he's fighting the top. Yeah. But it's a step down from the super championship caliber. So I'm not going to say it's easy competition. What I'm going to say is relative to the Max Holloways or Conor McGregor on that run he was on, right. it is a step down from that. Okay, so there's that. But also, dude, he's got like he's fighting with aggression, man. Like yeah. those body shots he's landing, you saw the thing. WEC Aldo, man. He's, it's not accidental, yeah. dude. And he's gotten good at it and he's just putting stuff behind it. So the thing is, it's like, I'm so glad this is happening because during that whole Conor McGregor chapter, I'm not saying Conor did this because I think in his mind he knew how good Jose was, but the trash talk, which I get, was part of the pre-fight. I don't begrudge him that. But some fans got convinced that like, oh, Jose was never fought anybody or wasn't that good. Dude, he's literally one of the best fighters Dude, yeah, ever. Sure. Yeah. And you're finally getting a chance to see that. Maybe he's passed it to the point where he can't beat Max Holloway. Okay. But, bro, he will put the wood to other these uh, other guys in this yeah. weight class, and you're seeing it now. Dude, he, he's stopping Moicano, who's a legit contender, man. Like, he's up there. Moicano um, was beating Ortega through the third round before he made a catastrophic error. But right, he was exactly. giving Ortega the business. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, but yeah, like back back to the question, um, one fifty five Aldo, dude, I'm all about it. Yeah, me too. I feel like this has to happen. I one forty five, and like I saw a lot of people, like a lot of my coworkers were saying, like, oh, you know, um, I'd love to see the Ortega fight, and you know, a few other featherweights were mentioned. Um, but I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it's me, but for some reason, Aldo at featherweight, like. Sure, I'm always down to see an Aldo fight, but if he's going to beat like all these top top contenders, and I already know that there's no end to that because I don't see him getting another fight with Max Holloway, and I already saw that twice. Like, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't excite me that much. I feel like at 155, there's so many good options. Like, if he moves to 155, almost every single fight that he'll be in, it's it would almost feel like a super fight. I'll say this: I would love to see him at 155. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing the Ortega fight, but I don't want to see it right now. Because after the loss to Holloway, I still think Ortega is a future champion. Yeah. And I think he needs a rebuilding fight. Jose Aldo ain't That's the rebuilding fight. Yeah. He is still way too good. And I'm not saying Ortega can't win. Just saying I don't think it's the right fight. Yeah. So so that's where I come down. So I will split the difference with you there. Yeah, I agree. But look, Aldo Nate Diaz, Aldo Connor, Aldo Gagey, Aldo, Aldo, Aldo Pettis, Aldo Pettis. Aldo Pettis. Oh, and Pettis is about that too. Uh, he actually posted that. an article that that we wrote on his story. I saw that. Yeah, 
Uh, so all the, there's tons of good options left for him. Dude, yeah. Hashtag all the way. And it's so gl- I'm so glad that one of the game's best, we'll see how the rest of the year goes, but it appears to be ending on a high note. Love that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice story, right? Because like we always see like these legends drop off after they lose their title. Not Jose Aldo, dude, man. He lost He's that, still out dude, there. He lost that McGregor yeah. fight in the worst way possible. Yeah. Literally the worst way possible. Same thing with the Max Holloway fights. Okay, but he gave. I mean, he yeah, won. he right. It wasn't the, like a thirteen the, second. The thirteen knockout. seconds yeah, is for sure. so bad that his stock plummeted. Yeah, and I think now you're beginning to see. Wait a second. This 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 is why Aldo is Aldo. Yeah. Why Sean Elshadi wrote that piece on him that uh, that served as a curse. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the night we fought Aldo, right? yeah, yeah, that's that's an amazing piece. Uh, by the way, um, man, I just lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, did did you ever feel satisfied with that finish with the Conor Aldo? I I don't know, I didn't. I mean, I'm not trying to yeah. take anything away from from Conor, but Dude, Conor, uh, Conor, you can you can love Conor and you can hate Conor. He won that one clean. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, clean. he threw the punch, he knocked him out. Yeah, you know, nobody does that to Aldo, yeah. nobody. But I feel like if they fought again. I don't know. We'd get a really fun fight. Oh, you I mean what? I want to see it again? Yeah. 1,000%. Especially at 155. Yeah, I'd love sure. to see it. That'd be fun. All right, now let's talk about bantamweight. Uh, I guess something's cleared up, maybe? I don't know. Hey, Luke and Danny. This is Clint from Phoenix. Uh, last night's fights were pretty freaking awesome. I just wanted to know, you know, the UFC completely mishandled the whole lightweight situation after McGregor took his second title. And uh, we all want to see the rematch between uh, Cejudo and TJ. But, man, Marlo Moraes just came out and earned a title shot. Did he not? I mean, he finished a Sun Tzu, something nobody's ever done before, and he did it in the first round looking like a monster. He deserves that title shot against TJ. How does the UFC handle this situation where they need to do this rematch because of the quote-unquote early stoppage? and now with a legit number one contender that's got the hype train behind him. Thanks, guys, and looking forward to hearing from you on the show. I don't need to see the rematch. I don't. I mean, maybe at, I do, but at some not now. At some point. Look, don't get me wrong. Oh, would it be good? It'd be yeah. good. Would it be interesting at 135? Sure. Would it be different at 135? It very well could be. I am much more interested in TJ Dillashaw fighting Marlon Moraes. Dude, Marlon Moraes, I was sitting there watching that fight. I was like, how is this guy not more highly regarded? I mean, the insider insiders regard him very highly, obviously. I'm watching him like, dude, he is built like a freaking Greek god. He's got ridiculous hand speed. His footwork is crisp. His boxing is nice. He has good finishing instincts, good power. Had a dude. He submitted Rafael Sunsau from with an arm in guillotine choke from Mount. Are you are you kidding me? He's super. Dude, he's so good. He's so good. Like that's what that's the fight I want to see because I think I think the world of TJ Dillashaw too. Put them two donks together. That's what I want to see. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Plus. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like you feel the same way. But I really enjoyed the the Cejudo Dillashaw uh, rivalry. Um, I think you know for some people maybe it was a little cheesy the whole snake thing. But I don't know. I, I liked it, and I think that's a rivalry that you should let cook. So yeah. let TJ Dillashaw defend his belt. Let Cejudo defend his belt, and then they'll meet at some point. You know, maybe next year or, or, or late this year. But yeah, let's go back to the number one contenders fighting the champions. That that's the way it needs to be. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm all about it. All right. All right. Now, let's talk about Johnny Walker. This is a two-part question. We just addressed the, the second part, but uh, I guess we'll address the only the first part. Okay. Hey, guys. It's Morgan from Arizona. I uh, just finished watching the UFC fights, and all I can say is, wow. Uh, awesome pace of the whole event. Everything went real well. All the fights were great. 
awesome time on ESPN Plus. Never had any issues. I don't know if you guys did or not. I did. Just want to get your quick, uh, thoughts on a few things. First off, Johnny Walker. I mean, wow. What do you what do you do next with that guy? You put him up against Glover Teixeira or Krylov, or I mean, what do you do next with him? And then Mar- Marlin, does he get the shot against TJ, or is he going to have to sit around and wait until the whole fight with Cejudo comes around again? I mean, what do you do? Uh, big fan of the show. Hope you answer my questions. Thanks. Have a good day. I'll start with the second one first. I think Marlon deserves a title shot, just yeah. to reiterate that. Johnny, Wal- Johnny Walker, excuse me, should fight a wrestler. So he fought, um, who is the um, the striker? Um, the gentleman, the African-American guy. Uh, uh, Khalil Roundtree. Khalil Roundtree, and he won that one standing. This one, again, Justin Ledette, I would say much more of a stand-up threat. Yeah. I would like to see some of his skills tested. I'm not saying he has to fight a guy who only wrestles him, but maybe a guy who can mix it up a little bit more. He, yeah. he has been very interesting to note. But before we get the hype train moving, let's test the skills a little bit, see where he really is. That's what I would say. Same, like, you know, let's not rush him to the title. Let's not, you know, do anything crazy here. Plus, I want to see more of, of Johnny Walker. Like, you know, what, what does he really have? You know, I want to see him on the ground. I want to see him in a second round. So, yeah, I agree. Put him with someone, obviously, a, a bit of a step up. Somebody up there in, in the rankings, maybe a top 15. But, um, yeah, keep him, keep him away for the title. For, for you know who I want to see him face? Another maniac in, like, Ion Kutelava. Okay, that guy can wrestle. Guy, yeah. He's not he's not a wrestler, but you're but he's right. Strong he, and he he he'll he'll tie up and with he's you. If aggressive he has to. Yeah. and uh, he's a maniac. Yeah. I'd like to see those two lock horns. I yeah. think that would be kind of interesting. That'd be fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a good matchup. All right, um, this is a bit of a crazy question, so I'll just I'm a crazy guy, Danny Segura. <laughs> All right, let's see it. Hey Luke, it's Ben from College Station, home to the Agrarian School of Texas A&M University. <laughs> Uh, my question is, in honor of the Bellator Heavyweight Championship wrapping up finally, um, who would be the favorite in a four-man tournament between TRT Vidor Belfort, Horsemeat Alistair Overeem, Ooh. Pride Fedor, or C-Level Kane Velasquez? Thanks, and keep up the good work. Now, what's the seeding of the tourney? Uh, let, let's say... In the order he listed it? Well, he just he just made a list. I yeah, guess but I'm he saying the first two, then the second two. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. No. So then let's be... just say it's randomized. Randomized. Like we don't know the brackets. It's going to get randomized. Okay, you got to put your money. On. On I'll somewhere. do it the way he said it. You can change it up if you want. But the okay. way he said it was TRT Vitor versus Horsemeat Overeem. I'm going to go Horsemeat Overeem. Then you've got Prime Pride Fedor, and then C Level Kane. I'm going to go C Level Kane, and then I have Kane winning the whole. I have Kane winning the whole thing. Yeah. Um, because that horse meat the over him when he was gigantic, he was built for kickboxing back then. Yeah. He wasn't really built for MMA. Because remember, kickboxing is like, you know, he's, he was doing like three, three minute rounds, basically. Of course, yeah. Very different. Um, so, and he was he just explode on people and he was just butchering them. Yeah. Uh, again, the microphone here is having issues. Um, so that's where I would go. What about you? Dude, I'm going to go with uh, horse meat over him. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah, dude, he was so big, all those knees. Uh, dude, those knees would drop every. I remember when he fought Brock Lesnar. It was like, oh shit! Like he did that to Brock Lesnar. Like, yeah. Do you remember? Um, like he tied him up. I think he had like two underhooks, right? Yeah. And he was driving, driving him back. Like one one thing is like out techniquing, I guess like Brock Lesnar, and other things like out muscling him. Um, but I I do agree with you in the sense like it'll it'll be an interesting matchup because CeeLo Kane can fight for years. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, I don't know. By the way, but before, I'd go with before, before anybody gets offended, we're, this is all a joke. We're just having fun, yeah. everybody. Everyone's very, everyone's very sensitive in MMA. We're just having fun. Here's the thing: I remember when Michael Chiavello shouts to Michael Chiavello, he would be like, "I can't do his accent, but Overeem's back is so big, you could screen a movie on it." And I'd be like, "Yes, you can, Michael Chiavello." Projector. <laughs> yes, you can. I was, I was, you know, I, you know, as yeah. much as you can be a heterosexual male, I was in love with Overeem at that time. It really was. All right, so we got a few more questions. We're kind of running short on time. Right. So you want to talk about Bader's performance yeah, or Adesanya? We, He's got a, a big uh, uh, Let's do Bader. Him. We should give him some some props on this. We haven't had yeah, a chance yet. Sure. I was, I was out right. last week. Keep in mind, this is from last week, so... Fair enough. Yeah. What's going on, uh, Luke and Danny? This is Dylan from New Jersey. I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on um, Ryan Bader's performance on Saturday night and um, where he stacks up against um, all heavyweights and light heavyweights in today's MMA landscape where he stacks up against the likes of uh, DC, John Jones, Gustafson, Anthony Smith. Um, where, do you, where do you think he ranks pound for pound between those two weight classes? Uh, thanks a lot. I did a video on this on my personal YouTube channel. I'll just reiterate the short version of it here. I was so dismayed to see people being like, dude, attorney, what didn't it just showed us that Bader sucks and he didn't beat anybody. It's like, well, look, I don't know if he could go and beat John Jones again. Probably not. And I don't know that I would necessarily like his chances against Daniel Cormier, but I would like to see the fight. Certainly would be interesting. Very competitive, I think. Very competitive. And you never know. Yeah. You never know. Here's what I would say, though. In the UFC, when you're fighting the top guys all the time, and especially when you're coming from wrestling and you're learning the game, it's hard to really show how good you are. It's very, very difficult unless – you are John Jones, and you're so much better than everybody else that you can just reign over them like they're like you're king and they're peasants. It's just that's the only circumstance. What it shows you is one of the better, if not one of the top light heavyweights of this era, not the very, very best. He couldn't beat Rumble and he couldn't beat Jones. And we'll, again, who knows how things would have gone against Cormier? I would have favored Cormier. But the point being is a guy well below that is still very good. Dude, they, they literally didn't lay a glove on him. He didn't take a single strike through three fights. It's absurd. The, the lesson there is not that the tournament wasn't tough or that Bader's not that good. It's that one of the better light heavyweights of this generation can go through another tournament, not have a glove laid on him, and show you just how good he is. That's a better way, or well, I should say not a better way, that's at least one way to fully appreciate how good Ryan Bader is. I was I was very impressed. Yeah. Plus, like, it's not only the Fader win, because it, I know people say, like, oh, Fader's not the same, but he beat Matt Mitrione, who's probably the the best, uh, you know, he's in his best career moment, I would say. Um, and then he beat ten, King ten Mo. Eights. Yeah. And then he beat King Mo, who's legit. In 15 seconds. Yeah. King King Mo also is a successful heavyweight. Like he's beaten Chick Congo. I know. Uh, he's beaten like some some solid heavyweights too. It's so, crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. I couldn't believe some of yeah. the reaction. So yeah, it's it's definitely not you know the champ champ thing. It, it's nice to have. I, I would rank you know back to this question. I would rank Bader like easily a top five heavyweight in the UFC. Easily sure. a top three at light heavyweight. Maybe yeah. Um, With the absence of Rumble, yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's like, dude, and and that if, if he's just fighting Jones and Cormier, well, maybe he gets smoked and you don't really be all Bader sucks. Dude, you got to take him out of that environment and put him in a new one. And then you're like, holy right, crap, that guy's you're good. You're comparing him against like 
two of the greatest of all time. Yeah, like, you all know, time great. Exactly, exactly. Which is a tough spot to be be in, and it kind of sucks because you know Ryan Bader's a super skilled guy, man. He's one of the best light heavyweights out there. All right, let's do one more, then I have to go. All right, let's talk Adesanya. Then well, he's got a big weekend. Anyway. Yep. What's going on, guys? Chicago from Toronto. Uh, I was just wondering where you guys think a win at UFC 234 will put Israel, uh, because he's not fighting a top contender in the division, but it still seems that he's being built up for a title shot, even as soon as his next fight. You know, obviously, should he win on Saturday? Um, you know, he has that co-main event spot. Um, I just wonder, you know, does he need another fight after this? Does he need to fight a guy, you know, in that top five above him? Or, uh, is this all right, all right. I get, I get the, I get the name. gist of the question. Uh, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, the answer is very simple. It's a title shot. They are mm -hmm. dying to give this guy a title shot. And you're right. Oh, beating Anderson Silva. What does that do for you? Nothing. Uh, in terms of realistically showing us how ready you were, doesn't matter. Big name, big opportunity. It's co-main event for a reason. Short of something miraculous or strange happening, that guy is going to get the winner of the main event. Period. I don't know about strange, and I don't know about miraculous, but sure. Uh, yeah, he'll he'll get a title shot if he if he gets a, a W. Am I the only one that's thinking this fight's going to be like somewhat competitive? Uh, you know, look, I've, I'm done making predictions. It's just they're too hard. So right. in MMA, almost nothing surprises me. My rational brain tells me it won't be competitive, but that could be because I'm not taking into account enough variables. So I guess we'll have to see. My hunch is no, but I can't say with any certainty. Are you excited for that fight? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. I want to see what it looks like. Okay, you know, yeah. I am because look, if it is competitive, then we have to figure out what that means, right? You know, so right. So yeah, Dude, sure. I think it will. I don't know. All right, maybe we'll, we'll find out. Are you out, picking but... Silva? Should I go on record? Yeah. <laughs> no, my I, I think Adesanya is going to win. Right. But if Silva wins, like I wouldn't be surprised. Kind of like the same thing with uh, Cyborg Amanda Nunes. I thought Chris Cyborg was more like he would was going to win. But like if you would have told me like, hey. Amanda Nunez uh, is going to knock out Chris Cyborg. I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's definitely possible. Like, I can see that happening. Yeah. With Silva, it's like, I still think he's a top 15 middleweight. Um, I think Adesanya is above that. I consider him, you know, right now a top 10, maybe even top 5. So I do think he'll, he'll get the victory, but I think I think it'll be competitive. I don't think, because people have this perception that, like, Silva's washed up. I, I really don't think so, man. Um, All right. I don't think he's in his prime, but... You know, he's far from washed up. Let me ask you a question before we get to this next interview. See if you're interested in doing this. Remember how I talked about the show Hot Ones on uh, The Beat? Yeah. Have you gone back and seen it? Uh, actually, I haven't, man. Okay. Well, <laughs> but I will. You know what? I mean, this is what I'm, so, I'm surrounded by people. But I know, no, I know what you're talking Danny, about. I've seen, I've seen the clips. I've yeah. seen the Danny clips. Danny Due Diligence Segura over yeah, there. That's uh, me. <laughs> all right, here, here's the deal. It'd be, it's the host and then the guest, and they eat 10 wings. They start mild. Yeah. They get insanely hot. Now, if you if you did it a bunch of times, it would be stealing. If we did it one time on the show, it'd be homage. Would you want to do an MMA hour homage to Hot Ones where we both interviewed each other, ate mild wings, and then worked to super hot ones? Would you want to do it? I mean, I'm I'm bad with spicy stuff, but I'll give it a shot. Why not? Would you give it a shot? Yeah. Okay, we're talking about like two million Scoville level. You'd do it? Bro. The internet demands your compliance. Are you going right, to be... I'll do it. You know, if enough people on Twitter want, want me to do it, I'll do it. All right. If you want to see me and Danny do it, let us know on Twitter. If you don't, you don't want to do it. But I think it'd be kind of fun. We got to spice things up around here. No pun intended, my friend. And I would like to try that. I would like to put it on camera. I'll take the day off after this so I don't have to go to my next job. 
and we just ruin our day yeah. with incredibly spicy yeah, food. Yeah, maybe we can have sound off with wings. Yeah, but we have to get through all 10. We'll try. No, 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 no. Yoda, oh, it's- there is no try. Either do or do not. All right, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when How we How about this? There. Let's plan something. We'll come up with a plan and we'll float it to the audience. Would you be okay. interested in, in forming a plan? Yeah. All right, and then we'll just throw acid in Austin's face because he's stupid. Okay. Uh, thank you, Danny. I appreciate it. Good job today. All right, man. There he goes, Danny Segura. Uh, we are not done here on the show. We have one more interview to get to. I spoke to one of the great coaches in MMA who is now a commentator for ESPN. He's doing, like, cornerman commentary and then a little bit more. It's Trevor Whitman. He, had, he had a, uh, did a phenomenal job on the UFC's debut on ESPN, so I wanted to talk to him about it. Here was our conversation. And I am joined now by coach and now commentator, Trevor Whitman. Trevor, how are you, sir? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for making some time for us. Let's actually jump right into it. I have to say, uh, what a pleasant surprise that was when we saw you at the uh, UFC on ESPN Plus event as this sort of, uh, well, how would you define your role, right? Because on the one hand, you're discussing what's happening in the corners, but you were also talking about some of the action in the cage for the fights itself, so you're commentator, but what is your specific role? Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> they had called me about a week prior and said, hey, we have this idea of, uh, you know, calling how the corners work, and uh, that's a lot like how Fox was, that ESPN is not going to be showing the corners, but pay-per-view does, so they asked if I can come and be a part of the ESPN events uh, and do this position that they didn't know how it was going to work, so I showed up, and they put makeup on me, and I realized that they put makeup on me. I might be going on camera, and then they tested that out in the beginning and kind of ran with it, and they would just ask me here and there, do you want to jump in? And uh, I think we're just kind of swinging from the hip at the moment. Well, I got to say, if you're swinging from the hip, it's looking pretty good. So there was there was like no formal tryout for this or anything? No. Wow, that's so unusual in television. I'm sure you know that. Like, just to get your dry run as the live version of it, that's highly unusual. Why do you think that is that yeah, they did it this way? I, I think they well, they had told me that they might, they might go on, it might not. So I think they tested it on the on the the ESPN uh, Plus uh, uh, the prelims, the early prelims. So mm-hmm. you know, I I guess it was going well because they kept me on every every part. So. Now, have they discussed since then what their plan is? Yeah, at first they wanted me to do every every one, and I just said, "Hey, man, I'm uh, I'm super busy with uh, with Onyx and uh, with my athletes, and I don't want to take on too much." And uh, they wanted me to see if I could do every one, and I just told them I'm not going internationally at the moment; I can't. And uh, so they scheduled me for five of them, and then uh, we'll decide how much further we go from that point. Well, I guess congratulations are in order. Uh, this is sort of like a surprise out of nowhere. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're pretty happy about it. Is is getting into television, was that something you had eyed at some point in your future? No, no. This is a complete surprise uh, to me. I've never done any commentating or anything like that. Uh, when I had read the message, I actually didn't want to do it because commentating is not something I've ever wanted to do. Uh but once I called Zach and Zach told me, you know, it was com- from a coach's perspective, uh, they wanted, especially from the corners. Uh, I, I was intrigued uh, to do it j- just because I, I think there needs to be more of that. Uh, but then again, you know, here, here I'm supposed to come out and uh, critique and talk how the corners going. And, uh, you know, who am I to critique anybody? 
on the sense that, you know, I've done thousands of corners, but uh, I would say not all of them have been superb. So it's, it's one of those things going into this. I'm very humbled for them to ask me, uh, you know, and, and, it, and it's hard for me because I, I, I have such a good relationship with all the coaches out there. So, you know, going out there and speaking the truth is what I'm going to do and always do. And uh, just hopefully from the perspective of how the coaches and, uh, uh, you know, the guys in my network who we share the same job, understand that, uh, you know, where I'm at at the moment is because of the many mistakes I made uh, and, and, and gained through it. So I actually wish there was someone critiquing me back in the day because that's what it takes. It takes tons of critique and I, I never want to call it criticism because criticism to me is a negative sense to it, but critiquing it and going back and saying, what can I do uh, better in each fight as a coach, I think would be super beneficial to me. And I've always thought that way. I've always been my hardest uh, critic. So, uh, you know, I've made some huge fails in the game. I mean, I was just thinking the other day, I remember when I forgot Vernal Phillips's mouthpiece in a title fight in boxing and I had no idea. I didn't even put the mouthpiece in. He came back and was like, damn T. And he sits down and I'm like, look at that. I'm like, what? And he's like, you forgot my damn mouthpiece. And I'm like, I did. And I touched my pocket. My mouthpiece was in there. And uh, I have not forgot the mouthpiece since. And that was probably 2003. And uh, it takes scenarios like that where, you know, it's just like, just like the athlete athletes, it's all about performance and you gain from your performance. And sometimes you, you don't perform. It really helps you out. And, you know, having that performance where I really dug into myself after that fight and, uh, it helped me never do that again, (laughs) but I've got a, I've got a laundry list of things that I laugh about what I've done in the corner before. So it's super cool to be able to get out there and do that. But, uh, again, it's never a position I want to take to ever go out there and critique people who I learn from, you know? What would you say uh, about the state of MMA cornering? I think you would agree, probably, I don't want to put words in your mouth, certainly, but um, for the time I've been observing the sport, the last decade and more, it's certainly gotten a lot better. But one of the things I've really noticed is a lot of yous don't exist. And by that, I mean, number one, people who've done cornering in other similar combat sports, which is and, and they have, and those other sports like boxing, you know, long histories of cornering. Uh, and two, it's a lot of really young people. It's a lot of teammates who might also be active fighters cornering. You're seeing a little bit less of that now. You're seeing some generational shift. To me, that's that's made cornering a little bit better. Uh, still a long way to go. What is your assessment of the state of MMA cornering? Oh, yeah, it's come a long way. I mean, I come from the boxing world, and the boxing world is, you know, you have a couple other people in your corner, but they're, I mean, one uh, one time I had to get on Miguel uh, Diaz, uh, who was a cut man and a very well-known cut man. And uh, I was cornering Manuel Lopez and uh, he started like telling him what to do and I had to jump on him. And I, I feel like doing the boxing cornering, it was really just you doing the instruction. And at least it was for me. I didn't have a big team. And a lot of times the boxing coach works with the boxer all the time. So that's who you're listening to. I know when I got into MMA, there was a lot of other coaches that you're working with. And that's where I felt like a big stick got put in the wheel where it was very easy to have so many people telling me the right thing. And everybody could be saying the right thing, but it's so much information or so much going into the fighter where it makes cornering very, very, very tough. And just like you said, a lot of times it's athletes. 
an athlete wants you to do good, but it's, it's almost like listening to uh, a mom uh, yelling to her son on the, on the wrestling mat. So, you know, you hear her saying squeeze harder and you're going, all right, well, <laughs> what does that mean? You know, it's, uh, it's definitely come a long way. And, uh, I mean, just, just being a part to really dig in and watch the corners, uh, the night I got to do it, uh, in Brooklyn was, was very cool. And I thought everybody was doing a great job. I mean, there was a, there was a couple little critiques here and there, but it's, it's super cool to see the level of coaches. You know, and, and look, there's a lot of different ways to be a good corner. So I'll ask you in this way, true or false, not every good coach is a good corner man. Not every good corner man is necessarily a good coach. In other words, how different are those two roles? How similar are they? You know, uh, I mean, you nailed it. Uh, a coach, someone who is working in the gym, you know, there's there's so many good good coaches. The difference between a good coach and a great coach, how I kind of put it, is a good coach can tell you what you need to do. And I can talk to people on the street who can tell your athlete what they need to do, but it's, can you show them how to do it? Can you explain when to do it, when not to do it, how to do it, how to set it up? Uh, and most importantly, make them believe in it. And then going into the corner work, it's really the same thing. You got that tons of good corners, but the difference between a great corner is someone who understands their athlete on the, you know, the mental side. You got to know how to piss them off. You got to know how to cool them down. You got to know how to, to you got to really uh, uh, just understand their psyche. And you got to be able to read that from just, not even just from their performance, but their body language and, and, and what's going on. And, you know, there's something going on on the outside uh, of the fight sport that's causing their performance to be there. And if you're with them all the time, you should know everything that's going on uh, with them. Uh, I know a lot of people who coach in corner athletes that they're like their best friends. And I always say, hey, man, it's good. It's good to be a friend of an athlete. But a lot of times a good friend is going to tell you what you want to hear. But it's like being like a father, like a father, you 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 want to you always want to. Uh, let them know that you're proud of them no matter what happens because they're, they're again, as long as they're out there doing their best effort, that's all that matters. But you got to be able to discipline them. You got to, you got to trust what they're doing on the outside. Uh, you got to, you got to know when to, you know, really dig into them and know that they're not going to take it to heart and be like, I'm not going to be your friend no more. It's more like that fatherly figure. I care about you and I care about your, your, you know, you're not getting hurt in here. And that's where that bond is, has, has to be so strong, uh, you know, and, and, and really I feel like that's the key to being a, a, a great uh, coach slash cornerman as a versus just a, you know, the average good coach. One of your most famous cornering moments was the uh, uh, you throwing in the towel or stopping the fight on behalf of Nate Marquardt. Obviously he had a uh, super decorated career, but – Certainly father time comes for us all. And when that happens, you need some people around you to make some of these very, very difficult calls. You're seeing calls like that, I think, a little bit more, Trevor. I would point to uh, Duke Rufus after Anthony Pettis broke his hand against Tony Ferguson. You know, I've, I can't, I mean, I'm sure you know this too. I mean, how many times have we seen guys with broken hands go back out into a fight? And Duke Rufus said, enough, right? We're just not going to fight under these circumstances. Do you believe that corners in MMA have a problem not stopping enough fights that maybe shouldn't have continued? 
Yeah, I think it's a huge thing in this sport. I mean, it's it's really cool to go back and and people are like, oh, Trevor's the first guy to stop a, a fight in MMA, and that's that's not true. I remember when Chuck Liddell, uh, uh, people jumped in and stopped the fight when he was fighting Rampage and Pride. Uh, there's there's you know, and it's not only just if someone's getting beat up like like Nate had a situation that I was aware of prior to going into that fight that the doctors were very concerned with his uh, blood uh, blood. Uh, blood pressure. His blood pressure was super, super high. And they were resat in the doctor's office, or if you were the doctors prior to the fight, uh, about two hours before he went out, and they were they were very concerned with his blood pressure. And then when I had seen him performing, I was like, this is there's something totally wrong. So I already had an awareness to it. But it's not that you just stop a fight that someone's getting beat up. It's it's where are they in that fight? And does the guy have your number that night? And the cool thing about MMA is there's so many different ways that the fight can be stopped. So I feel like that's a, that's a big key to a lot of people not stopping the fight. Cause there's that fight could just change so quick to me. It's more about the mindset of where that athlete is. And, uh, if you're taking an ass whooping and that fighter clearly doesn't want to be in there, you've got to be the one that steps up and takes the sword. You, you have to jump in there and, and make it your fault and let the fighter go and complain that they, you shouldn't have stopped the fight because, the more times that you get beat inside that cage and you're you're getting dominated, that's a that that hurts you mentally, and that's hard to come back from. And whether you're just taking too many punches, or does your fighter need to be in there? Do you need to jump in there and save them and get them back mentally and 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 re-strategize on what's going on? And again, this is a lot of psyche. You got to know your fighter, and the key to all athletes is being able to ride that money train and ride that money train as long as they can. Uh, you see it with a lot of uh, fighters. You almost see their careers completely change. And if you look at that, you've got to really pay attention to the the two or three performances that change the way they perform in the cage, where you see guys that look invincible, and then all of a sudden they become human. And then all of a sudden you're going, wow, they're, they are the even gatekeeper level. And it was kind of like a scenario with Nate. When I had stopped the fight with Nate, I had so many people in my ear telling me, you need to, you need to stop fighting. And I'm like, well, he had the best performances I've seen in a long time in the gym, and he came back to win two after that. So it's, again, knowing the athlete and really sticking to your guns. And, again, everybody's going to have something to say. How do you, you have to stick to your gut feeling and what's going on and just pay attention to everything. Everything has factors. It's how are they performing in the gym? How are they mentally? Do they have too many things going on the outside that's causing them to be distracted? And that's where the cornerman slash coach comes in and has to assess that you are the co-pilot and you have to put yourself in the scenario. I'm a co-pilot, but I'm on the outside. I'm not driving in the car with someone that if I make a wrong move, we're both rolling. It's like, you've got to, you've got to really understand that I'm not taking no damage, but you have to care for them and be willing to take some damage. If you go out there and make a decision like that. And uh, again, it's uh, it's, it's that, that fatherly love, uh, almost parent like love, but also just truth and honesty that they're getting to the goals they want to get to, if that makes sense. You know, boxing stoppages seem to come from the corner anyway a little bit more easily. And one of the reasons people point to, um, well, there's several reasons, right? A lot of times those guys have guaranteed pay, so they don't have to worry Mm about uh, going out to see if our show or win. So that's a big one. Again, we talked about it before. You might have somebody who's been cornering for 40 years, quite literally. And so they've sort of seen it all. But the other one is that yep. in MMA, we hold on to this idea, 
Well, I mean, even in jujitsu, they don't have tech falls. We just saw a girl go up 91 to nothing in an IBJJF tournament because there's always this idea that maybe you could pull it around. MMA is so varied that you can always sneak out a victory. And I know we can all think of some times where that's true, but I got to tell you, Trevor, I think it's way overstated. And I think that's probably, and I want to see what you think about this. To me, it's combating that. You don't want to tell a fighter you never have a chance. But on some level, you got to live in reality and you got to weigh the costs and the benefits. And it seems like that's the more difficult challenge we're up against. I wonder what you make of that assessment. Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, it's, uh, you, you nailed it. It's, again, it's a longevity. Again, one performance is, is not your career. And yes, you've got to be the best you can every day. But sometimes you've got to really assess the performance and what's going on. And again, that goes to the outside. Uh, professional fighting and, and prize fighting you take damage over the years, but again, can you, can you cope with it? And can you rebound? And again, that comes a lot from the outside. If they, again, there's lots of things that fighters go through, whether it's too much, uh, uh stardom, uh, do they get distracted? Do they not train enough where they, where they have a family issue going on? And again, a lot of times it's going to cause a performance and a performance issue. I mean, just put it this way. Uh, you remember when, Chael fought uh, Anderson Silva, and, and Chael beat Anderson Silva for five rounds, but Anderson came back to win the fight. That's one of those, those fights that kind of stand out to me where he found a way to win. He was the champion. But that was the downfall of his, his legacy. I mean, if you look at it next time, he fought Chael again and dominated him, but then those performances right afterwards, you start to question your performances by your performance. And if he was doing everything possible, he's like, holy cow, I got held down for so long. And yes, I came back to win that fight, but he was the one that was in there. He's the one that, that deals with the soreness and the what's going on where he was somewhat invincible. And those type of fights make you question everything, especially the, the, the older you become. The, what comes with, with, with age is wisdom. What's uh, You see young guys, you see young, young guys are just reckless and can do it and don't get bothered by tough fights. But as time goes on, man, the tough fights, they wear on you. Uh, what's an example of uh, somebody, maybe from boxing again, or if it's MMA, let me know. But has there ever been a, uh, a, is there ever an example of just like really solid cornering, either stopping a beating from continuing or, uh, you know, uh, energizing a fighter to reach their maximum potential? Is there any moment you could think of in a corner that was just incredibly pivotal and, and just really uh, Teddy work? Atlas, so I forget uh, his name. I'm having a brain fart, but it was uh, a few years ago. Uh, had a great performance. He said, "You got to go in the fire like a firefighter." I mean, oh, Timothy Bradley! Motivational speech. Yeah, yeah. Timothy Bradley. What a what a great job by the corner. And uh, you know, I always respected Teddy Atlas as a as a cornerman, and uh, he made a great commentator. I actually learned a lot about coaching by listening to Teddy and the things and the philosophies he had to say. Uh, but that was a great corner just by seeing he's a you know he's more of a full time commentator slash you know part time coach. And it just shows, you know, his philosophy by, you know, it's all, it's, 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 how do you create energy? How do you create more energy? I mean, he was winning that fight, but he knew that there was momentum and he was able to build that momentum into a, just a, a, a fireball. And that's what a corner's there to do is how do you, how do you uh, create more momentum or shift the momentum? And that's always tough to do is, is, is have a shift. How do you get into someone's uh, head and make them believe that they can still win the fight? And, uh, uh, that's, that's, again, that just takes time, experience, and again, philosophy, understanding how the mind works and understanding how your athlete works. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, 
cornering now when I have three athletes compared to when I was uh, had a team at Grudge that you know forty professional athletes. It's night and day different. I, you know, when I was having too many athletes, there was a lot of things that I did and I failed as a cornerman, as I failed as a coach. Uh, for instance, I had a, a a guy named Alvin Robinson fighting. And uh, they were, I did an interview and they asked me about Alvin Robinson's opponent. And I'm like, and I, I was like, no, I don't think that's his opponent. And I mixed his opponent up with uh, Justin Salas's opponent. And they're both 155 at the time. And that's where a big flag went off where I was wearing too many hats. I had too many athletes. Uh, another time is when Rose uh, lost to Carla Esparza. And, uh, you know, I didn't even talk to her about a five round fight. Here she is with three professional fights, fight for world title, coming off the open to fighter. And seeing how dominant she was on the Ultimate Fighter, even when I wasn't coaching her, all the way I became a fan. And man, she went out there and hit this pace. And uh, after the first round, I didn't even catch on to it. And afterwards, like I seen her start to cave. And 100% was that my fault as a coach, as a co-pilot, to not catch that and not plant the seeds that I needed to plant for a fighter that only had three fights, fight for a world title, who's so young. I still feel we should have won that fight if we would have understood the pace and understand a five-round fight and understood the only way that Carla could have beat her. You know, it was almost like I came out as a, a fanboy slash cheerleader. And those are those were part of the reasons why I gave up on, on Grudge and said, hey, you know, I went back to my boxing ways where I coach the athlete and I don't have too many people in the uh, saying the right things because everybody's saying it in different philosophies and you got too many coaches you know, coaching you where everybody's in the right mindset, but you're going from one workout and you got three workouts per day and each coach, coach is pushing you to the limit and here you are overtraining. So there's just so many different experiences that you go through. It's just, how do you, how do you audit it and make sure that it's, it's balanced and, and again, all about the athlete. And also when you have been alluding to this, the entire interview, how different your athletes are, certainly it takes some humility on the part of the coach, but it also takes some keen awareness too. You've got Justin Gaethje, uh, one of the most exciting, dynamic, incredible talents in the lightweight division, still highly ranked. He's going up against Edson Barboza, but I don't think it's any kind of controversial statement to say that, you know, that's a high risk, high reward kind of style that he has. Does it, does it change the way, not so much that you corner because that would change athlete to athlete. But I guess what I'm wondering is, as you approach that kind of fight, and you're thinking about the strategy and the things he has to execute, but also the kind of fight style that he has and what requires it to succeed, does it make cornering a little more tense? Does it make it a little more for you uh, as they go high stakes? Do you go high stakes too? How does how does their fight style impact you? Uh, I mean, it's it's everything. You know, Justin's a guy who really doesn't fear fighting. You know, he's a guy who loves it. He, he, he lives in that, in that fire and he just enjoys it. Like that's where he's himself. But again, I've got to know when to pull it back. And then also who's a puncher, who's not a puncher and, uh, uh, taking those, those, uh, uh, you, you, there's a certain person you can take a clean shot from, but it's going to take two or three clean shots to put you away. But you, sometimes you face a guy who one clean shot is going to put you away. And, uh, you know, I'm very big in a position and understanding positions and it's just, I really focus on where do we need to position ourselves in the fight? And then also through the rounds, how do we position ourselves and when do we start to push the gas pedal and when do, do we do it right away? What, what do we do? And there, there's the strategy of, of, of understanding how to uh, uh, be like a general and, and, and control a, a, a battle. Uh, how would you say a scenario? What are they thinking? What are they thinking we're going to do? And do we switch that and try to, 
So there's so much uh, uh, fun stuff that goes into, you know, uh, game planning and, and, and getting these guys ready. And then how do I assess myself in the corner uh, to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then you always have to be prepared for, if it's not going your way, what are your, what are your seeds you're going to plant? How are you going to wake them back up? How are you going to get them back into the fight? So there's so many different, different perspectives that you need to put into play. So you're prepared for those scenarios, which I never used to do in my early years as a coach was like, Hey, this is our game plan. And then it changes. And then instantly the fighter can read that you're going into plan B and that's more like mayday instead of like, no, this is what we're expecting. And how do you make them feel that it's okay. We're good where we're at. This is what we need to do. And to me, I feel that's the key is how do you, how do you let your fighter know he's still in the fight and then get them to listen to what you're saying and trust what you're saying. Well, I got to say, I've, uh, I certainly appreciate this conversation. I appreciated your first uh, run on ESPN. I look forward to many more schedule permitting and uh, best of luck to you uh, with Justin against uh, Edson and everything else you have going on this year. Thank you for your time, coach. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Big thanks to Trevor Whitman for stopping by. Thanks to all of our guests, Shorty Torres, Wonderboy, and of course, Ricardo Almeida as well. Thanks to all of you for watching. We are back next week. The train rolls on. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the MMA Hour. And until next time, stay frosty. <laughs>